bringing you all of the local motocross racing from North Carolina, Virginia, and the surrounding states. The Imperative MX Podcast. Here's another episode. And we're back and ready to rip here on the Imperative MX Podcast, episode number 36. And man, we're glad to be back for another episode. We are bringing you all of the local motocross action from North Carolina, Virginia, and the surrounding states. Thank you so much for joining us this week on yet another episode. I am your host, Zach Newberry, and we would like to thank everyone who has been enjoying these episodes already and the great positive feedback from you guys, the listeners, has been phenomenal. And if you still need to check out any of the past episodes, do yourselves a favor and check them out after this one, which is now available Anywhere and everywhere you listen to your podcast nowadays, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube, and many more to choose from to listen to past episodes with awesome guests. It is fantastic to see the support from the local community and even outside the local community to support in the sport of motocross. And like I said, we are a part of an awesome sport. And I want to thank you guys, the listeners, for tuning in to this week's episode here on the Imperative MX podcast. We have a lot to talk about regarding local racing all the way to professional and, of course, everything in between. With that, there are many talking points to chat about within this episode. First, we will talk about the local Southeast motocross races from this past weekend and ones to look forward to within the next few weeks for you local racers. Then we will have Gizmo Mods, Rock River Yamaha, 450 Supercross rider Devin Sivison. Come on. And uh, who just made his first 450 main event this weekend on the, on the year in Glendale. And we will also speak to him, of course, about that. The wild LCQ race for him to transfer into that main event. How this new team and new bike has been going so far for him and much more. Then, of course, we will bring in our Trey Steyer to help us chat and give our thoughts about this past weekend's Monster Energy AMA Supercross Championship round. From Glendale, Arizona, and the doubleheader of AMA Arena Cross Championship in Reno, also from this past weekend, and all of this and much more here on this episode. Make sure to check us out by searching Imperative MX on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Threads, and TikTok channel if you have not already done so. And thank you all for supporting us on all of our social media platforms as we continue to grow. And before we talk any further, we have to say thank you to all of the sponsors on board here on the Imperative MX podcast. West Virginia Motorsports, Dirt Industries Custom Graphics, Hydropower, FXR, Total Control Racing Suspension, Silver Valley MX Park, and PR Motorsports. We will get more into each of these awesome companies behind us here in just a bit. And don't forget to check out ImperativeMX.com. When you get a chance, many new things are in the works right now, so be on the lookout and for some exciting things coming to the website shortly. And make sure to support the ones that support the sport, like these companies helping us out with this podcast to bring you these weekly episodes. And of course, helping me break down all of the talking points for tonight's podcast, the highly likable, knowledgeable, and we can't forget about that District 29 2011 C-Class Champion is co-host Heavy D. What's going on, Heavy? What's going on, bro? Oh man, it's another day and it's another week to talk about dirt bikes, man. Uh, how's your how's your week been uh, been so far? I know you've been traveling behind that truck. 
Yeah, man, it's going good. You know, we just out on the road right now, actually doing a doing a pod on the run right now. So I'm hey. over here in uh, Lenore getting loaded. So, hey, but we still going to talk about these dirt bikes no matter what. Absolutely. And before we start West Virginia Motorsports, if you are looking for your next ride, look no further than my friends over there at West Virginia Motorsports. If you are around the surrounding area and looking for a new or pre-owned motorcycle, dirt bike, ATV, scooter, or anything motorized in that matter, Stop by Princeton, West Virginia, or at their brand new location, Virginia Motorsports in Whitfield, Virginia. And don't forget to order your parts for your current bike through West Virginia Motorsports or Virginia Motorsports alongside walking out the door with that brand new ride. And don't forget those oil and air filters on your way out. And hey, Heavy D, don't catch them on fire. Yeah, no, nah, you definitely don't want to do that. Uh, you ain't going to live it down like we always talk about. And uh, that's going to stick with me forever. You Matter, matter of fact... One day, I'm going to just go light one on fire just for the hell of it, just to re, you know, react the whole, the whole thing when it happened, just to do it, just to see what it feels like now at 29 from when I did it when I was 15. Oh, I bet you this one will be in a more controlled environment than it was back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't in no controlled environment back then no, by no. any means. No, there was no control in the fire and no control in the brain at that point, but you learned pretty quickly, so. Um, if you guys need anything, make sure to go and check out West Virginia Motorsports or their brand new location in Whitfield, Virginia. That is Virginia Motorsports. First on the list, Heavy D, just like every single podcast, local motocross racing races uh, this past weekend, races this upcoming weekend, and of course, races to attend. And of course, if you guys have not checked out the 2024 compiled schedule of the major races from uh, the local Southeast area, of Mama, Mega, NCMX, D13, SEMA. Make sure to go and check that out on our Facebook or uh, scroll down on the latest on our website and you will find all of those series all into one calendar to help you guys out. And I know that uh, a lot of people are keeping that thing in their toolbox, Heavy D. Oh, 100%, man. That's You can't go wrong with that list, man. And, you know, um, just like Wendy Hill, uh, what was it, the past weekend? Yeah, wasn't it this past week? Oh, it was, weekend before. Yeah, weekend before, yep. Yeah, the weekend before, man. I think that uh that definitely helped out a lot of people and uh I feel like um a lot of people based off of where they were going uh that weekend off that schedule and it uh it definitely helped out a lot and you know, uh I feel like Dreamville is gonna be another big race, uh so people get to see uh what's going on. So hey, you did your thing with that one. I, I must tell you. You you was quick on your feet with that one right there. <laughs> yeah, I had to get it out right before the started the series uh for sure in the beginning of the year i think uh, a lot of people really enjoyed that and every time i go to a racetrack somebody always comes up to me and says thank you very much for doing that and uh yeah man i did it for you guys out there that race every single weekend and trying to go to as many series and as many races as possible and so instead of flipping through facebook and different websites trying to figure out series schedules i just put it all into one for you guys and uh threw some logos up there and and all of that so make sure you guys go and check that out uh, District 13 MX, their opening round was out at ECMX this weekend. And unfortunately, I was not there and neither were you heavy. But uh, from the word around the pits is that it was a great event. And of course, District 13 up there does a phenomenal job with their uh, series at hand. So I'm sure that track up there at ECMX uh, was great. And I'm sure the racing was uh, good as well. Oh, absolutely. 100%, man. That's what I'm. I love Elizabeth City. You know, I never, I never personally got to ride it, but I've been there a lot. Um, 
for a lot of other races. And man, the track is always awesome. Sandy. I mean, they do a great job with it. The facility is always good. So I'm pretty sure they had a fantastic weekend there. Absolutely. And of course, races coming up this weekend will be the second round of the NCMX series at Dreamville MX. So if you guys are around this North Carolina area and want to get some gate drops, especially before uh, February 24th and 25th, which is actually an upcoming race to keep an eye out for, it will be the Mega Series opener and it will be the Loretta Lynn qualifier down there at south of the border. So if you guys want to get a couple of gate drops with some um, competition this weekend down there at Dreamville MX for the second round of the NCMX series is one to go to, Heavy D. Oh, 100%, man. It is. And, uh, it's definitely uh, it's definitely going to be a good one. That's the old stomping grounds right there, man. I love that place. It's like it's super close to my heart, bro. I'm telling you. Uh, Hopefully I can make it out. Um, not sure. Man, said we've been running pretty strong here lately, but God, I want to get back down there because Wagers, man, Alex Wagers has had that track on point, dude. It has been so thick. And, and I tell you, like, that's one thing about somebody that races and runs a track, like, and has raced a lot and, you know, raced at a very high level. You know, they, they know what it takes to, you know, make a track good and make it raceable. And that's definitely a track that's highly raceable and good. Absolutely. And, I'm actually going to be down there announcing for the entire weekend, Saturday practice. Make sure you guys are keeping up with uh, with when your practices are. And, of course, the racing, man. It's going to be a great weekend, great vibe, great turnout, I'm sure. Uh, first round, obviously, of the NCMX Series was a hit at Windy Hill two weekends ago. And I guarantee that this weekend for the second round of the NCMX Series is going to look the same at Dreamville MX. And, man, I'm going to be excited to get up there. And, of course, this will be my first time announcing at Dreamville. So um, last time I was there was the end of 2022. And uh, I rode a little bit. And I still have the – I'm going to call it a scar. But it was from where the helmet chin strap was around, you know, obviously my neck while I was riding. But when I left there – I had patches all over my face, Heavy D. I guess from where the sand must have got into the chin strap. And yeah, it took most of my hair out on uh, on my chin and uh, a little bit on my face. So I have to constantly keep shaving and keep trimming uh, because if not, it will look like I just have patches just missing. So Nicole's called me patches here. A couple of times because if I let it grow out too much, man, it's just a huge patch. But uh, regardless of that, the track is going to be phenomenal. Absolutely, you know, some sandy conditions. And, um, you know, it's a really, really good wide open track. Uh, you know, <laughs> the track used to be called wide open heavy D. So, of course, it's going to be uh, wide open. But, man, yeah, Alex Wagers and those guys down there, they do a phenomenal job on that racetrack and man it's going to be a hit this weekend i can't wait to get out there i hope you make it heavy d it'd be good to see you out at uh out at one of the local races with me oh yeah oh yeah 100 uh, percent um dude i'm telling you if hopefully i can just depend on where we got to go man it's been a uh since this uh, i'm working uh in the family business now man it, it's been pretty hectic so yeah. um Hopefully, uh, it just depends on when I get out of some of these places, man. They like to hold you, but man, I tell you that, uh, anytime I can, I want, I want to get back down there so bad because I know the race is going to be insane this week. 
the track is going to be phenomenal. It's going to be a lot of awesome families and riders and stuff down there. And I mean, hopefully, I can get down there. I know you're going to be down there on the mic, so. Uh, I got. I'd love to come down to him, my boy. Get on the mic and uh, announce some good racing. Yeah, man, that would be cool to hand you the mic, and man, we just go back and forth, kind of like what we did at Devil's Ridge uh, last year at the beginning of the year. So, man, that would be uh, that'd be fun, and hopefully, you get a little bit of a break, obviously, and you can uh, you could do that, man, for sure. That'd be uh, that'd be awesome. Uh, and then, of course, the upcoming races. I talked about it a little bit before. Of course, is the February twenty fourth and twenty fifth. Down there at South of the Border MX, it's the Mega Series opener, and it is the first Loretta Lynn qualifier around the region. So I know that's going to be packed, Heavy D. God, that is going to be everybody in a mama, grandma, uncle, cousin. Everybody's going to be at that one. That, oh, yeah. The first one's always packed, and then you always have. Here's how I always look at it. You ever notice, like, you ever know, in the local scene, even probably back in the day, you got new people to get into it. And they race the local scene for a little while, and they start to get good at the local scene stuff. And then they they learn about Loretta's and all that. And all of a sudden, all right, we're going to do this. And they all pile into the very first one. <laughs> the scene, yep, the scene, yep. you, you know it's true. That's oh, why. oh, it is. Every single year, man. It don't matter where it is. Those first three or so that are around the area, dude, it is absolute. I would say it's probably more stacked than any other race uh oh. throughout the year outside of you know the big amateur national events and maybe some of the uh state championships but dude that first qualifier area qualifier is always stacked it's, it, you might as well oh, throw dude. those guys that are in there are going to be the top 10 at loretta's you know <laughs> so <laughs> what's funny what's funny is i know like i know a lot of people just going especially from the Carolina outlaw series and the outlaw series banquet is literally the same weekend as that oh no and it's like that Sunday, and dude, it was so many people like, oh my gosh, the first qualifier is this weekend, and I'm like, I'm not like, I don't want to make it sound like I'm judging or anything, because I'm not, but I, in my mind, I'm like, y'all do know it's like 50 other qualifiers, like, you don't have to go to that one. Yeah. Matter of fact, you yeah. probably don't want to go to that one, to no. be honest with you. No, nah, you want to wait, <laughs> like, you want to wait until like the end <laughs> of April, maybe beginning of May. <laughs> yes, you do not want to go to, i like, I, anybody that's listening to this podcast, I hope y'all listen. You do not want to go to the very first qualifier. That ain't even just – it's not even south of the border. Like, south of the border is an awesome track. Like, Schaefer and those guys, they do an awesome job. Like, as a sick play, you definitely want to go there and ride and race if you can. But, like, it is literally going to be the hardest area qualifier you go to just because it's the very first one and people itching to see what it's like to go race other kids at Loretta's. Yeah. And that is the one – that will let you know, okay, like, this is a whole other league right here. Yeah. Yeah, well, and then you got to think, too, a lot of those guys and kids and adults, right, they want to go ahead and just get it out of the way. They want to go ahead and get start getting ready for the regional, you know? let Dude. Have that time off. They won't have to travel anywhere else. They can just go and get it done right there, kind of punch their ticket into the regional and move on. My dad always said for years, for years, this is where trainer facilities and trainers – this is the prime time for them to make their money because you got the freshies coming in and they hear about all these kids that go train and then they go and they go to the qualifier and they get work and then bam, 
they were trainers and 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 training facilities right then. He yep, always right left. right afterwards. They're <laughs> right on the phone. Yep. Like, hey, where can we go? We need we need some help. <laughs> yep, yep, they are. That's when they make their money. The newbies when they figure out about it. Oh, everybody's ready to sell the the house, the land, <laughs> the, the car. <laughs> yep, yep, they ready to go. Max bankrupt, out those so. credit cards. Yeah, man. No, I I hear you one hundred percent. But I tell you what, man. I think this year is going to be some awesome, awesome racing, and we've already seen it, obviously, and uh, on the professional side, which we'll get to later, coming from the Monster Energy AMA Supercross Series and the AMA Arena Cross Series, but I tell you what, there has been some awesome battles. We talked with Zach Heron last weekend, or last week, about uh, last weekend's race at Windy Hill, and he was going through a lot of those races that had awesome battles from the 25-plus to the Open AB to the 50-class to uh, the Mini Open Whatever it is, there is also there is always great racing around. Oh, dude, I'm telling you, like, man, I went and watched a David Lambus uh, YouTube video on his uh, YouTube channel, East Coast Films. Yep. Uh, from Windy Hill. Oh, dude, the racing looked so insane. The track was freaking phenomenal, bro. Yeah, I gotta actually go and check that out. You know, me and Heron were kind of stuck in the announcers tower, and we walked around. We have a German Shepherd as our dog, and. We walked her around a little bit, and obviously Nicole came with me as well, so we were kind of checking out everything, saying hi to some folks that we haven't seen since last uh, last year at some of those series races, and man, I tell you what, some of those parts of the track you can't see because they still got some trees there, right? Um, but man, I got to go back and check that out. So East Coast Films uh, on YouTube, and they'll be at a majority of these NCMX races, and of course, uh, I got to give a shout out to Skullfinger photography that will be at every ncmx round as well and they're gonna be helping us with some pictures so we can put up some articles on the website here in the near future and they're also taking photos of you guys out there on the racetrack every single weekend so make sure to go and check out those two media personnel uh individuals that will be out there to grab all of the content from the weekend's event and uh put on some socials and make some content out of it for sure. And, you know, they're there and um, willing to help you guys out. So make sure to go and check them out. And I know that Lambeth does an amazing job with that East Coast Films. He's always down there at Silver Valley every year doing the full moto VODs uh, from that event. And it's always, uh, always a good time, and he always puts up great content. Oh, dude, David is awesome, man. They do – him and his brother, they always do a – dude, a – fantastic job catching content i tell you i don't don't know if you remember that year where he like he yard sailed off the middle when the track was going the other way yes do you remember that yeah that was 2022 silver valley dude that was insane he got up bro and it was like like i went over to him because i was like dude like it did like was this something with the jump because i do i like anytime something happens it's like especially when you work on a track and you see something like that you like Okay, like I'm, I'm like hella confident in my ability, and I, I always, I like, I pride myself on not messing anything up, you know. Yeah. And I went straight to him, and my heart was racing. I was like, I hope I did not just kill David. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was like, dude, it, it, he was like, bro, that face was perfect. He said that was all me. He said <laughs> I overjumped the first one. I got excited, and he said, dude, I it just blew my hand off, and he was like, it. He said, dude, the face was perfect. I was like, are you okay, though? Like, yeah. He was like, nah, dude, I'm good. I'm sore. But 
Dude, he like, felt like 20, 30 feet out of the sky. That was unbelievable. And then that was the dude, same it, weekend that uh, the 50 jumped over the yes, other 50. Okay. Oh hey, I'll tell you, <laughs> the human body is an amazing thing. It's it, unbelievable. The human, bo- it, the human body could take a lot of abuse. No That's kidding. all I would say. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Oh, man. Speaking about local and uh, local racing, Dirt Industries Custom Graphics, actually from Rayford, North Carolina, right there around the corner from Dreamville MX. For over 10 years, they've designed, manufactured, and marketed the highest quality dirt bike graphics and decals to the motocross and consumer markets. Their high-quality decals are considered by many to be the best in the industry. Professionals and weekend warriors alike utilize the awesome graphics and decals. And the highly acclaimed design team is well-equipped to help their customers get the look they want in a short amount of time. And, of course, the team, the design team, provides itself on creative collaboration. They offer superior quality decals and top-notch designs at an affordable price for any budget. Use the code IMPERATIVEMX, all caps, no space, for 15% off your next purchase from Dirt Industries Custom Graphics, Helmet Wraps, Banners, License Plates, and much, much more. Dirt Industries would like to uh, uh, would like to help us with all of our banners and license plates. We even have some of those, and pretty much all of our decals and anything else that we need. So make sure to go and check out Dirt Industries Custom Graphics. Use that code up there on their website, and uh, yeah, save fifteen percent off. There's nothing better than saving some money, huh, Heavy D? Oh, dude, heck yeah, especially this day and time with everything being so expensive. Any dollar you can save, that's another dollar to go racing or put back in the piggy bank to go do something else. So you never know, parts, another bike, every dollar helps. So, hey, go uh, go, 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 do what my guy just said. Listen to those ad reads real good because uh, those ad reads can save you some dollars. It's going to add up at the end of the year. Hey, and I tell you what, other than saving money, this right here could save your life. Total Control Racing Suspension. Chad Newton, he owned an arena cross team for 10 plus years. You guys know he knows his stuff. And throughout the years, names like Luke Neese, Mike McDay, Tyler Bright, Josh Thomas, Kyle Peters, Jacob Hayes, Jim Chester, and many other local legends have trusted Chad with their suspension in AMA motocross, supercross, arena cross, or at the local races. So make sure you guys keep it really, really local with Total Control. That's TotalControlSuspension.com from professional to amateur. Total Control Racing Suspension has you covered. Go and get your suspension tuned up, guys. Get your oil changed. Get your oil seals replaced. And be comfortable on the bike. So make sure to go and check out Total Control Racing Suspension. Talk to Chad over there and get that comfort you are looking for. And I tell you what, someone who felt really, really comfortable in that last chance qualifier in Glendale for round six of Monster Energy, AMA Supercross is the Gizmo Mods, Rock River Yamaha rider, Devin Simonson, and we're going to get him right here on the pod. Let's talk to Simone. FXR from high-performance snow rider wear to motocross gear, FXR has you covered. The continuing growth of FXR means more selection for you. Jackets, jerseys, pants, gloves, Snow gear, whatever it is, FXR has you covered. In my opinion and many others' opinion, go and check out the best in sizing, fitting, and venting for motocross riding gear. That's FXRRacing.com. Find them on social media as well. The brand new 2024 gear collections are live and on the site. Make sure to go and check out all of the new colorways and styles to get you ready for this 2024 season. Also give FTA full 
full throttle adrenaline to look at from the FXR guys as well. FTA brand, which is an alternative apparel brand designed to inspire and connect all racers. And of course, the stuff looks good. And you guys know, if Phil Nicoletti is wearing it, you know it's some pretty good stuff from the guys over there at FXR. And we would like to thank FXR for helping us bring in our first guest of the night. It's Gizmo Mods, Rock River Yamaha rider, Devin Simonson. Thanks again for coming on to the pod, Devin. How's it going? Oh, it's going good. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. First things first, man, you're with the FXR crew now. Uh, how has that been? And what's it? What's one thing you really, really enjoy about the gear sets and apparel from the great people over there at FXR? Yeah, I mean, it's been awesome, really. Like, every weekend I get hit, hooked up with three brand new sets of uh, fresh gear, you know, so can't beat that, honestly. And then uh, just the fit and, like, the overall, like, way everything feels, you know? Yeah. Um, awesome material. So, yeah, that, I mean, it, it's awesome for sure. So you agree with my opinion and, and, of course, others, the best in sizing, fitting, and venting for motocross riding gear, FXR? 1,000%. There you go. You heard it from Devin Simonson right there. Uh, man, Devin, first main event of the season for you. It's been a wild start to the season, of course, for you um, in your first 450 Supercross debut. Uh, before this weekend, talk about uh, the other races and uh, maybe what has helped you uh, get to this point in Glendale where you uh, were able to make your way into the main event. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I guess we started A1. Um, it was a so-so day at A1. Honestly, didn't qualify very good. And then, uh, let's see, yeah, I think I qualified like 34th, which was kind of, uh, I mean, obviously everybody's faster in class, but you never want to qualify in 30s at all. Right. So that was a, bit of a bummer for me anyways. And then uh, I've never really been much of a qualifier anyway, so I really just like was, was focused on the heat race and trying to get good starts and getting out front. And then uh, I think in the heat race, I got like 12 or something, and then LCQ 6, and both odd butchered both starts and then neither one of them had good starts so um i thought my riding was honestly pretty good and then uh let's see second round was san francisco right yeah the mother yeah um <laughs> uh so yeah <laughs> um uh, well i straight up i i nothing happened i straight up didn't qualify for that yeah um, yeah because they only like, ran that one session right and you didn't even know that you weren't going to get a second one right yeah, like so. Honestly, I was 450B, and and when we had got out there, it had just stopped raining. Right. Like I was like, okay, maybe you know, maybe it'll stop raining for a while. Maybe we'll scrape the track, and you know, maybe we'll have a second session. So there wasn't much like sin for me going on. Like I was just kind of riding, and like I, yeah, I was trying to do some fast laps, but if it wasn't like happening, I wasn't pushing it, you know. Right. And uh, yeah, so straight up didn't make the night show there. Um, were you upset obviously... about that? Actually, were you were you mad maybe at some of the people oh, in operations? Were you were you upset honestly, about that? That you guys did, at least didn't get told that hey, there might not be a second qualifying session? Uh, no, honestly, I I, I just kind of laughed about it, like more at myself because it. I mean, it ultimately comes down on me. Like it's my fault that I didn't. You know, I should have probably thought about that and taking the first session more serious you know okay, okay. so really, uh, i put that on me okay um yeah obviously it would have been nice to maybe know like oh hey guys you know we might not be running second session or whatever um but still it's on me and then third third round was uh what is that san diego san diego yep yeah um 
yes, I'll have. I have a really good memory. It kind of just goes by so fast. Yeah, it does, um, man. It's crazy that we're already six rounds in and you guys are in for your first break, you know? It seems like the series just started last week, you know? Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, yeah, so San Diego, I, I was riding really good. I had good free practice time. And then uh, my first qualifier, I was – it had just started raining for us. Um, well, I guess for the 450A group, it, it was raining. And then for us, obviously, the track's only getting worse. So um, I, I just – we did the, the gate drop because uh, they only made it the one qualifying session again. Yeah. And uh, so came out like second off the gate drop, and I was just like focused on putting in the heaters right off the bat. So that way, you know, the track's only going to get worse with it raining. And um, just had a little mistake in the loops and ended up going down, dislocated my shoulder. Mm. And honestly, I was super bummed about that. I wasn't sure that I would like, um, I guess the, the extent of it was right. going to be. I was just. No, it was much worse than what it was. Okay. So uh, luckily, I got to pop back in right on the track, and you know, so obviously sat out the night, and then sat out a two as well. Yep. And then uh, I came back last, or I guess came back for Detroit, and had good speed there. But honestly, in both the heat race and the LCQ again, I was, I thought I was riding pretty good, but I got, I got pretty tired. I don't know if it was from, you know, the two weeks of not riding before. Right. Um, I literally didn't. Didn't touch my motorcycle one time oh, wow. before Detroit, other than uh, uh, free practice or not free practice. I'm sorry. Um, I think I can't even think of it. Press day Press on day. Friday. Yeah. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on that. And then uh, yeah, that was then Saturday. So I was uh, yeah, I just got a little tired and then uh, put in two solid days the week uh, after, and then I got after in Glendale. So yeah, for sure. And uh, one of the things that um, you know, we could talk about the heat race, but you were back there in 12th and 13th. And I believe that you kind of just stayed there, but it was all about that LCQ and getting the start and off the start, you come around 16th. What, what is your thought process at, at, at that point going through that first long rhythm section? Yeah. I mean, like you said, the heat race and honestly, like I even told, um, the team manager, which just happened to be my mechanic. I was like, uh, after the heat, I, I came off and like, I wasn't, I was like, dude, I rode good. Like I, you know, I hung in there with like, I think it was, uh, you know, McGrath and like Chisholm and Justin Hill, like even Dino, like those guys didn't finish that far ahead of me. Obviously I got whatever 13th or whatever place it was. Yeah. And then, uh, but yeah, I thought I rode pretty good. So I, I was just keeping a good mindset and really just trying to focus on the start in the LCQ. Cause, um, yeah, like you said, they're, everybody's fast. In it. And then, yeah, I, I ended up, getting a good jump and uh i think jeremy hand was like two over from me i think it was like him and then josh hill and then me and uh he had like a wheel in front of me and was obviously he was just trying to shut the door to the inside which anybody would do and i ended up clipping bars with him mm. and both feet off like yeah super loose super loose and then uh i honestly at that time i was like no that was there goes that you know yeah um and then i I was like, whatever, you know, don't give up. Uh, every pretty much every pass you make in LCQ is an extra hundred bucks. So right. that's kind of what I was thinking. About. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> but then I was like, all right, you know, hundred bucks, hundred bucks, hundred bucks, and um, oh, I think the last, dollars. yeah, I, I just, yeah, I'm not making very much. So whenever I, I make the extra hundred bucks here and there, I'm going for it. Yeah. And then, yeah. So then uh, the last time I seen the pit board, I, I think it was like two or three laps to go and I was still in like eighth, I think. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I think there was a, like hand was right there in front of me and then Moran's as well. And then I think it was, um, 
Cade was the next guy after that, and then Starling. And yeah, I ended up getting by hand in their hands, and then I seen the little, I seen the scuffle between uh, Cade and and Hand, but I, or, I mean Cade and Starling, but I wasn't even really sure if that was for fourth or not, right? Because I I didn't really know where I was, and then yeah, I just, I uh, I was like, whatever, I'm gonna go for it, and hopefully it's for fourth, you yeah, know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I came I came like back by the pit mechanics area, and yeah, like. Uh, I think Marshall uh, was obviously in there with us, and then uh, Michael Hicks too. I'm I'm not sure if it was Marshall mechanic or Michael Hicks' dad, one of the two. I seen them all just going wild in mechanics area, so I could only assume I was in four. Nice. And then uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it was a good feeling, man. It was awesome. No, I think it was something that you needed, right? And you know, because these first six, uh, five rounds before this round hasn't gone the way that you had hoped, especially in your debut 450. Supercross appearance and uh, you know doing the whole series and and uh, everything. I think you probably had a little bit more. Um, you know, you thought that you could do a little bit better than you have been. So um, maybe those two weeks off were were good for you. What do you think? Uh, yes and no. I wish I could have. I mean, I did a lot of cardio and, and running and cycling and that's that sort of thing. So I, maybe other than obviously, like I said, I still got tired at. Um, uh detroit but i think that was just from not riding being on the bikes obviously different than than just working out every day so as far as as far as maybe you know i don't know i i don't i don't really say it would help me know okay. i think maybe it, i wish i could have maybe had those weeks on the bike and just kept building you know okay but uh yeah um yeah. where were you able to pass moran's in hand before you were able to get right behind um those guys to make the pass in the fourth because you got around starling of course uh they're pretty quick because this all happened you know within those final two laps um where did you end up getting moran's in hand because you were stuck behind them two for maybe about a lap or two so i had a really good line uh in the first set of the loops like far left i was able to crush them and then i got uh honestly i passed both of them in the same the same section it was in the second set of loops okay i uh, they were kind of swinging it out wide before them, and I was just cutting super far down and getting to the right side, and they were pretty fresh. So I was able to like hammer through them pretty fast, and then uh, I would just like scr- I scrubbed the finish line to the left and just dove to the inside, so that way you know they couldn't block past me back. Right. Um, but I, I think it all started like the first set of loops, just getting close to them, you know, and then uh, just kind of trying to follow as close as I could until I got to that second set. No, that's awesome. And uh, you said that you didn't know that you were in fourth when you crossed the uh, the finish line. No, when I crossed the finish line, I knew it was in fourth, but I didn't know like the lap previous. Prior, like, pretty much when we got white flag, I didn't know that it was um, for like they were in fourth. Like before the battle was fourth and fifth, right there. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, because you got Starling, and, that- and as soon as you got around Starling and went to go and jump into the uh, first turn left hander. You could see that as soon as you passed him, you landed off that double to jump back onto the start or into the first turn. You could see like the excitement from you, like holy shit, like I did this, like I got around him, like let's go. And then of course across the finish line, you know everybody's stoked. So uh, of course that feeling had to be really cool getting around Starling and knowing that you were in fourth there. Yeah, it was man. Obviously, I didn't didn't do very good in the main but it was like winning the main event for me honestly yeah, it, it right. was a super good feeling to get it done and especially man the 450 class is so gnarly right now and i think we're me and a couple of my buddies like jerry robin and i were talking before uh 
the LCQ and we were just like talking about the lineup in it. And we were like, dude, literally anybody can make it out of like these 22 riders and it wouldn't surprise us one bit. Right. Like everybody's going fast right now and it's, it's pretty unreal, honestly. Yeah. And new team for you this year with those Gizmo, Moz, Rock River, Yamaha team. How's it been going uh, with the team and the crew? Oh man, it's been going awesome. All my teammates are super cool and uh, all the crew, the personnel over there. It's, uh, yeah, it's really been good. It's a, it's a nice uh, change of scenery for me. And if, after being with the team I was with for the past, whatever, three years or so, you know, and right. uh, yeah, it's been really, really good. Uh, I'm stoked to be a part of it. That's awesome. And uh, are you doing a lot of bike changes or are you pretty comfortable and have a good setting to where you can go into each weekend and make a couple of clicker adjustments? Um, or are you still working to make the bike better? Um, so honestly, I'm starting at, I went and I broke the race bike in the week before in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just as far as like suspension wise, I wanted to go a bit stiffer on my fork. Um, and so at Anaheim the day before Anaheim Friday, it probably wasn't the best move. I had, we added more, uh, what is it? Preload, I think. So it made the forks ride higher. Okay. Um, so I, that's part of the reason why I was struggling so bad in practice at Anaheim. I just couldn't get the bike to turn very well. Right. So when, for the night show, we ended up going back to where we were, we started. And I ran that um, all the way until this past weekend. Okay. Um, and then I, I actually had a, another fork setting from TCD to try out um, this past, well, it would have been last week, obviously um to try out and I, so i rode that for two days and i ended up just flying with it to glendale and uh yeah i put it on the bike so and and ran with that and uh yeah i'm pretty pretty happy with it other than that i haven't changed the bike too much um we went from the cable clutch to the hydraulic clutch because that's an option on the yamaha 450 as well yeah um but we just did that um this weekend as well so that was those are like the two things i've really changed other than that just been riding it Nice. The Imperative MX Podcast, episode number 36, speaking with Gizmo Mods, Rock River, Yamaha 450 rider, Devin Simonson, brought to you by the good folks and great gear over there at FXR. Heavy D? Yo, Simone. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. He comes How in you? here so sleazy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta put, gotta put a little skank on it. Gotta put a little skank on it. Oh, <laughs> So, uh, just, I mean, I'm just curious because I've I, I been wanting to ask somebody who's actually ridden it. How gnarly was that uh, rhythm set, long rhythm section with the 16 gun? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was quite gnarly. Um, honestly, that, I think, uh, I mean, the main line that everybody was doing was like, you know, the either step on or in step off and three, 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 three or whatever it was. Um, it was pretty simple, other than the one three that um, Thrasher had went down on. Yeah, you you really had to you know seat bounce that and get over it and use a little finesse to get over the top of it, you know. Um, but other than that, like it wasn't super gnarly. They were pretty simple threes, but uh, that one that one just made it tough. Really, was it like it? It seemed like a fast ass section to come into like was that part sketchy like trying to time step on step off to like do all the threes um so the the one after the the one i guess like after the start that one was easy as far as timing wise. 
but the one that was tough was the one after the um after the finish line like you land off the triple and then you get that three on you know yeah and you step off three three that one was the tough one for me anyways like I would land off the triple and I would come up short going three on a lot because I felt like I had so much speed. I was going to over jump it. And yeah, my timing on that one just wasn't great, at least for me. For other guys, I'm not, I can't even <laughs> speak about, but for me, it felt like every time I'd land off the triple, obviously you're pinned up to it. And I was like, man, I'm just going to, I'm not a four over this thing, you know? <laughs> then I, <laughs> so I would let off and then I'd end up clipping the on and then I'm jumping off like bone rared out. Dude, I'm like, right, get it together right, right now, you know? So, <laughs> I'm in front of 56,000 people. Can we yeah. Can we just have the bike straight up and, you know, like, yeah. oh, man. I'm like, uh, you almost think I haven't done this. I haven't done this before. I'm like, man. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Was, it, uh, was oh. the track pretty slick, too, Devin? Uh, I mean, we could see it on TV. It, it looked pretty slick, but really, how how uh, how slick was it? Yeah. Um, so for practice, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> for practice and, and qualifying, whatever you want to say, it honestly it was it was like watered slick. It wasn't like dry, you know, hard pack slick. Right. And even like our heat race, it wasn't too too bad. But from the main event, like it was it was like blue grooves, you know lighting up the rear tire or riding on asphalt so like <laughs> yeah did any of your california uh riding and experience help you out with uh with that track there with it being so slick uh well so honestly i only rode one day because it had rained the week before anaheim in california okay so not really Go figure <laughs> yeah so yeah not really. and and the one day that I, we did ride was at the Yamaha test track and it was it was quite wet anyways because like i said it had rain yeah. so it was it honestly rutted up pretty sick i was i was pretty pumped on it yeah and where you ride at right you don't get much blue groove down there at club mx uh so um but you're you know uh, speaking on that topic you're down there at club mx now you were at south of the border uh for uh, in years previous how has that been for you uh being at club now yeah, it's been awesome, man. Honestly, like, I can't, it's been really, really, really good for me. Um, just everything, the whole, like I said, the crew, the personnel, even there, like, it's been unreal. Everybody's there to get better, and, and everybody's about it to help. You know, if they can help you with something, they're going to help you. And even all the riders, like, we're really obviously ride and train together, and we even race each other, you know, on the weekends. But if they're behind you and they see something like, Hey, you know, you're going slow over here, but you're, you're going faster than me over here. You know, it's, it's everybody's there trying to help each other get better. So that's, it's, it's a cool thing. No, that's awesome. And, and of course you got a lot more, uh, riders there, not speaking bad on, on South of the border, but you have a lot more top elite riders at club MX. Um, now that you're able to watch and study as that helped you out quite a bit, watching guys like, uh, Jay Mar and, uh, March banks and Phil, of course, and a lot of these other guys, has that helped you? Uh, throughout this year yeah absolutely like you said no dig test would be at all because obviously i was that was a big part of my amateur career and even for my whatever first three years pro or two years pro so right they they did so much for me the whole time i was there as well so um but yeah obviously uh with marsh banks and phil and and cody shock even and um jeremy martin i mean he's a two-time champ and garrett Lindsay, well hasn't won a race this year but it's uh been super close and podiums so um 
yeah, uh, it's it's pretty unreal watching those guys ride a practice track. Um, they're going super fast, so definitely learning something from them every day. Yeah, and uh, are you staying there uh, full time? Are you going back home, or what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, I only live thirty minutes from there, so nice. just uh, yeah, I just drive there in the morning, ride, work out, and then uh, drive back that uh, that afternoon. Nice, awesome. Uh, the Imperative MX Podcast, episode number 36, speaking with Gizmo Mods. Rock River Yamaha 450 rider Devin Simonson brought to you by the great gear and folks over there at FXR. Heavy D? So, uh, Simone, um, what, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, which one's more nerve-wracking? I just had a curiosity. 250s or racing with 450s? Uh, honestly, I, I mean, it's probably the same, honestly. Like, I don't know. That's a good, that's honestly a good question. I'd say it's about the same, really. Like, I feel like my years there, my I only raced two fifty, what two two and a half years or so. Um, yeah, I don't know. I still get the same nerves no matter what, really. Now, as far as like the racers in it, I think in the two fifties maybe they get a little more wild in the four fifties, like. They're not going to T-bone you, but they'll they'll move you, I guess, if they need to get by you as well. So, yeah, they definitely don't mess around. But yeah, I was just curious about that. I've always wanted that. I never asked. I don't know why, but probably because you have yeah. four fifty super long. But yeah, no. As far as like nerves and stuff, I would say it's about the same. But like as far as racing the guys, like in the four fifty class, they're not just going to T-bone you for nine places. I feel like in the 250 class, they all get pretty wild if they uh, if they want to pass you. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, and, yeah. And you know what's crazy, too, is that, you know, you're lining up with, you know, a lot of these guys that you've watched over the over the past couple of years. Obviously, you know, you ran a couple of 450s and you got into um, a handful of mains last year, too. But, you know, looking left and looking right and seeing these guys, does that not have more of a nervous uh, – you know, trait than r- lining up with those 250 guys? Or like you said, it, it's pretty much just the same. You're just out there racing a dirt bike. Yeah, I mean, not really. Like, obviously, it's it's a little a little bit. If you're like, I lined up next to Barsha this weekend, and it was like, damn, you know, this is, I didn't really think about being nervous. I was like, this is pretty cool, you know? And nice. even when you're, when you're racing those guys, like, I just think about, like, obviously, you know, there's nerves in the back of you, no matter what, when you're going to the gate, you're just like, oh man, this and this could happen or this, you know, and, um, but as far as like being nervous to race them, I just think how, you know, it'd be pretty badass if I were to beat them, you know, yeah. so I don't really, I don't, you know, get nervous to race them because obviously I'm out there for a reason with them. Yep. Um, but if I wasn't good enough to be out there, I wouldn't be. So, um, yeah, I don't get too nervous about that. Good point. Good point. And, uh, good thoughts on that as well and uh a lot of talk about the 450 starting first and uh some people say it's good and some people say it's bad what do you what's your opinion on it with the 450 heat races going first i might be a little biased because i'm in the 450 class (laughs) right right. but uh, (laughs) i don't mind it at all like i think it's pretty cool i mean obviously i mean 250s i went first for i'm not even sure how long right obviously i've been watching or in racing so um for them to switch it up i think it's pretty cool for them you know trying something different and i don't think it's uh obviously a for sure set thing right 
But I do, I do think um, uh, it is until like further notice. I believe the next even the next round and stuff's gonna be like that, um, where the four fifties go first. Okay. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward. Like I I enjoy it. I think it's pretty cool that you know, um, especially with your four fifty B and and even shoot four fifty C. I mean, they get you get mint tracks now versus before we were kind of put on the back burner and, and you know good luck good luck riding an indy in 450c or something you know so yeah um dude those, I don't those know, yeah, rides would cool. be up I, to your foot peg you know yeah and obviously it still sucks because i mean i was i didn't think too much about it and i was watching a podcast or something the other day and um they were talking about like oh well what about, you know, you get these 250 rookies that get put in 250C or something, and then, you know, the track's beat up, and then that's when the injuries are going to happen, you know, this and that. So I <laughs> I get it on that side of things, too. Like, it, it obviously, if you're a rookie and, like I said, you get put in 250C out of Indy or something, I could see how uh, you might get loose a few times. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, for sure. And, uh, man, you're uh, one of your good buddies – uh, Jacob Glenn uh, has been, you know, trying to get after this Supercross thing this year, of course, and his first one was down there at Detroit. What do we need to do in Arlington to get him up there into that night show and uh, get a good placing? So I'm bummed about this one. I actually just <laughs> He's like, dude, I actually I want to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Go at, ahead. at Detroit, I was I, honestly, I think he rode Supercross like seven times or something before Detroit. Right. Um, and he, he told me he was going to go race. I'm like, Jacob, like, you got to understand what you're doing here. You know what I mean? Like, don't, don't just go like just to ride around, you know? Yeah. And he actually, I, he was like three spots out or something, I think. Yeah. Not far, not far impressed. off. Oh, yeah. I was impressed. Yeah. I was impressed. Well, I think he was like, maybe he was less than a second out, like 0. 0.4 or something. Um, so I was pretty impressed with it, honestly, but he's, uh, now the thing I'm upset with is he's missing Arlington to go on a cruise oh so, no stop yeah yeah oh, my yep, goodness yep. i trust you yep so uh well first like things first said, uh, is let's get him to the racetrack yeah exactly <laughs> yeah that's we need him at the racetrack but no he's he's actually he's been training at uh, south border and he's uh he's gotten some more supercross time in i think this past few weeks and then i think he's going on the cruise and he comes back and then i believe it's like daytona or something right yeah, so that would be good. I think he's gonna race that. Yeah, nice. I think he's gonna race that one. Nice. I uh, you better get in there. That should be my first race uh, to attend this year. Is uh, is Daytona too? So I'll see both of y'all down there. If y'all you guys are down there, are you gonna come out to the uh, to the arena cross to watch the night before? <sighs> I'm not sure yet, honestly. Mm. I, there, I've been talking. The team has been talking to me about maybe racing it. I don't. I don't know if I really oh, want to do that or not. Simonson. In yeah. AMA Arena Cross? Yeah. Oh. We've been talking about it a bit, but I, I'm not really sure. We'll have you done any? Time. Have you done any? I've never raced an Arena Cross. Oh. I've done um, some Canadian, like Arena Cross. It, it was their Supercross series. Right. It's pretty, much, it's pretty much Arena Cross. And then, um, yeah, other than that, I haven't done any any arena, arena cross so. well let me ask uh, let me ask you um obviously one of your teammates is ryan Brees now uh on that rock river yamaha team of course he's on the ma uh, arena cross circuit now of course um do you 
do you hear, you know, how much money he's making? And does that kind of make your eyebrows raise a little bit? Yep. It, it, said, sure yep. it sure does. <laughs> yep. It sure does. <laughs> and it's it's actually funny that you say that because when I first originally spoke to uh, Rock River about maybe riding for him, they like threw the the whole arena cross thing at me. Like, you know, we we kind of want to send somebody to race arena cross. Wow. And I I, uh, I shut it down. I shut it down right away. Honestly, I was like, nah, like I'm in it for Supercross. You know what I mean? Like, and I get like, yeah, obviously money is super good, but the way I look at it, is I'm only 22, so I was like. I, I mean, obviously years. money, like I said, yeah, yeah. You need, like, obviously I need money. Uh, I need money to live, to whatever, you know, money's nice. But I was like, I would rather, you know, go put it in, in the show in the 450 class and Supercross rather than going for the money at this point right. in my career. I like, got you. Like I said, I need, uh, not like turning down money, but um, yeah, I would rather go making it for myself in Supercross right now and then, then uh, maybe later on in, in my career or whatever maybe switch to that or something man that would um, that would be actually yeah. pretty cool I, I you know i'm a big advocate of the ama arena cross series i've you know i did it all the way from when i was on 60s all the way up and uh, got to see like guys like rj and jordan smith and even austin fortner and justin cooper i i used to watch justin cooper on 60s and 80s you know spank everybody every amateur uh uh, national day that they had for those things. And I think that they got a lot of good racecraft um, early from that type of stuff. Of course, back then with like Jordan Smith and RJ and those guys, right. It was during that uh, Ricky Carmichael's road, the Supercross deal. Um, but man, you do get quite a bit um, of that racecraft for sure. Um, I have one last question, then I'll throw it over to heavy for his last question. But my last question was Devin, after your main event, did you head straight to the media scrum to talk to the media? <laughs> uh, no, I did not. I Devin headed straight. What are you uh, doing? I know. Look, so <laughs> with all the, <laughs> I yeah, would have came and found you, bro. I, uh, I would have came and found I you. Had, <laughs> I had a uh, I had a red eye flight. Home, oh, and it, it it left at like eleven fifty p.m. And, you know, I'm, I get back to the rig. I'm not even thinking about it. Uh, me and TJ Albright, my teammate, were actually on the same flight. And then, so I take take the scooter. I can wash my boots. And I get back. And I'm like, where's TJ? I'm like, oh, he left for his flight already. I'm like, oh. Like, I should probably <laughs> so, get going. Uh, he, yeah. And it was like, uh, I think when I got back, it was like 10. It was when I asked him that, I was like, oh, what time is it? They're like 9.50. So right then, I like strip out of my gear. And, uh, so then I get on the Uber app. I'm like, Oh, how much is the Uber to the airport? Ah, quick 130 bucks. Fuck. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, for about a, a 10 minute ride to the airport. Literally. Um, luckily my teammate, uh, Michael Hicks is like, Oh dude, don't pay that. Like, I'll just take you to the airport, you know? Nice. And then, uh, yeah. So no, I, I'm a bit bummed because come to find out, um, I get to the airport takes about three minutes to walk to the TSA and walking around, no foods available. Uh, and then about 35, 40 minutes later, here comes Kenny Oxen, same slide as me. Um, <laughs> and so you had plenty of press. time. You could, you could have. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, obviously he made the press conference. And yeah, I could have. I could have for sure. Yeah, it made me a little bummed because I like talking to the media and the press. But do you what are you going to do? Though? You know? Do you actually, though? 
yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah, I like it. All right. Well, hey, next main event or next time that you get a chance, you better be down there at the media scrum talking to us, uh, uh, geeks. That you know behind the behind the camera for sure. So um, I'll be there. I'll right. be there. One hundred percent. All right. Cool deal. Heavy D. Any last questions for Devin here? Uh, no, you're good. You're good. All right, Devin. Well, I appreciate it. Great job this past weekend in Glendale getting into your first main event of the season in this stacked 450 Supercross race. And, of course, on that brand-new Gizmo Mods Rock River Yamaha team. And, uh, man, I'll be talking to you soon and appreciate you coming on to the podcast yet again. Yes, sir. Thanks, boys, for having me. I'll uh, talk to you guys soon. All right, Devin. See you later. All right. See you. Later. See you, Simone. And that was... Gizmo Mods, Rock River, Yamaha rider, Devin Simonson here on the podcast. And, man, I tell you what, Heavy D, he's always a good interview. Oh, yeah, man. It's it's funny because he always keeps it, like, he keeps it real. But also it's like if something's going on in the mind, he can definitely tell you about it. Oh, for sure. Um, one of the One of the, I guess, one of the main things I got from that was that Rock River actually asked him to do the AMA Arena Cross Series. I did not know know that or even knew that Rock Rimmer was looking for somebody uh, before the season started uh, for this, you know, AMA Arena Cross Series. And we'll have Trey on here in a minute to talk about uh, the Monster Energy AMA Supercross Series and into uh, the AMA Arena Cross Series as well. And, of course, they picked up Brees now. But, man, I tell you what, if I, I, I you know, like we've been saying, I think this AMA Arena Cross thing and the money that's getting thrown out and these riders are bringing home and that sort of thing, I think it's going to make some of these riders' eyebrows go up just a little bit more, Heavy D. Somebody at the gate. Yeah, dude. It's, oh, I'm sorry, my bad. I was, I was talking. No, you're good. I apologize. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, that's crazy. I wonder why he didn't do it. Well, why he, he doesn't want to do it. Uh, well, he said right there, he, he wants to do Supercross. He's young, right? He's, he's only 22. Um, he wants to do this Supercross thing. And, you know, if, if push comes to shove and it doesn't work and, um, you know, or, or, you know, he wants to go in a different direction or whatever the case may be, Arena Cross will be there. So, um, but yeah, that was one of the things that I didn't, I didn't know. And that's, uh, and that's awesome. And of course he's. And, you know, what's crazy, too, is that, you know, obviously now he's working uh, down there and training at Club MX. And I tell you what, Heavy D, it seems like it's doing him um, really, really well. Able to get into the main event, of course. He had that those two weeks break for that shoulder dislocation that he had, of, of course. But I tell you what, he's been he's been killing it. And he's a rider to look out for here in these uh, here in these main events moving forward for sure. Oh yeah, dude. That's the thing. He's always he's fast and he's solid supercross. I think some guys it's a little bit harder for him as far as nerves. Why? It's the mental aspect. Because if you watch him on a supercross track, he's nasty, just like a lot of those other dudes. He just uh, it's just one of those things. I think the fact that knowing like, hey, I got to race with these other dudes may get to him a little bit sometimes. Oh, for sure, for sure, and uh. Man, it's always really good to talk to Devin. You know, he he comes out to the Silver Valley MX Park Open AB All Star two thousand or twenty thousand dollar pro shootout, and man, he's uh he's really really doing well. And uh, I think on that brand new team, I think it's just going to get even better, and he's going to learn more. And of course, he's got good teammates and good team around him that have been 
around the sport for a really long time, helping out, um, you know, privateers just like himself. And of course, we talked to him in, in October and that was about a couple of days before we knew exactly where he was going to go. And he came out on the pod and let us know that he's going to be on that Rock River Yamaha team. And before that, he didn't he didn't know what he was going to do. He wasn't going to be with the um, with the Kawasaki team that he was with uh, any longer. PRMX, he wasn't going to be there anymore. And he wanted a little switch. So he ended up switching, obviously going back to the Yamaha that heavy D. He's a menace on a Yamaha. I tell you what. Dude, he's. He's, he's right at home on that Yamaha. He gets down on that Yamaha. Dude. It, he's him. He's him on that Yamaha for sure. I, I, I'll always, I'll never forget 2019 High Point Open A. My man went out there and gapped everybody, got the whole shot, and just, you know, over that big floater jump at High Point, uh, the one that Schmelian, uh knocked himself loose there a couple of years ago, going up to the face. Yeah, dude, he was just upside down whipping it every single lap and just gapping the guys behind him. And man, I was like, man, he's him on that Yamaha for sure. And it was a, st you know, it was no graphics, no nothing on it, just seventy on it, and just getting down and getting it done. So, um, as as Dion said to say, that man right there is a dog. He really is, dude, and he and he still <laughs> is, of course. And putting it into the 450 Supercross main event on that bike. Um, man, is just awesome. PR Motorsports, your newest trackside support trailer at the local NCMX races and local races. They ensure you riders get on the gate and continue racing each weekend. If you guys need anything, find their trailer at the races from tires to engine fixes. PR Motorsports is your trackside support rig for the surrounding area and states. Find them on social media. And thanks, Charlie and Justin, for all of their help with everyone at the local motocross races to keep you guys out there on the track. And of course, Hydropower. Hydropower is formulated by sports nutritionist himself to help you eliminate arm pump and increase your endurance so you can ride safer and faster. Go to drinkhydropower.com to get your Blue Raz today. They have many a new flavors on the way, and they're going to be coming out with some whey protein and some other supplements for you guys to make sure that you guys increase your endurance and help eliminate that nagging arm pump that you have. So the link is in the description of this podcast for 10% off your next purchase of any Hydropower products. And Heavy D, up there in Devil's Ridge, when we were announcing and you needed a little bit of, a little bit more kick, a little bit more spice in your day, that drink, that Hydropower came in clutch. Oh, yeah, 100%. If you need uh that pick me up and that get going, get that hydropower. It uh, rejuvenates you real quick. That's what you need in your life. Absolutely. So make sure to go and check out drinkhydropower.com to get your blue raz or any of the other flavors today. In Silver Valley, Heavy D, tell me, tell me about Silver Valley MX Park. Hey, the one, the only, the greatest, the best, the gnarliest, the wickedest, only local national. Hey, it is the local national at silver valley mx park oh, of course right. and uh man me and you have a great time at their pro shootout every year they're going to be doing it again this year at the end of october and you can best believe that me and heavy d will be there trackside i will be there announcing of course they've already asked me so i will be back there announcing getting you guys hyped up for this open ab all-star shootout $20,000 on the line between the two classes. And I tell you what, Heavy D, you guys do not want to miss out on the action from the local national this year. 
Absolutely not, man. It's going to be wicked. It gets bigger and better every year. And, you know, we're definitely pushing to get more and more guys out there. So I look forward to it. It's my favorite race of all time, really. Just because I love to see some of the baddest dudes on the local scene go at it. And I tell you what, Heavy D, with me living in Greensboro now, Lexington, North Carolina is a 30-minute drive down the road. And so you guys best believe I'm going to have some really good sleep and going to be ready to go at 6.30 in the morning waking your asses up, telling you that get to the sign-up trailer, put your stickers on, A-B practice coming up shortly, right at 7.30 or whatever the time is, 8 o'clock, whatever it is, man. I, I tell you what, it's going to be an awesome race. And can anybody, if, if Jacob Hayes shows back up, Justin Rodbell shows back up, Henry Miller shows back up, those are some of the guys that we've seen on top of the on top of the podium. Kilroy, see if he makes his way on from the West Coast on over to the East Coast again to show up there at the Silver Valley MX Park Open AB twenty thousand dollar shootout in October. That's one race that you guys do not want to miss. And I tell you what, one thing that you guys do not want to miss is the championship series of this Monster Energy AMA Supercross Championship has been absolutely phenomenal and a lot went down this past weekend in Glendale. So let's go ahead and bring our Trey Steyer here on the line. All right, now here on the line is our Trey Steyer, of course, our writer over there on ImperativeMX.com, giving you guys all of the inside scoops on the unsung heroes, the privateers, and of course, the recaps from the weekends, uh, the weekend races. Uh, it is Trey Steyer. Trey, appreciate you coming on once again. How you been? Pretty good. Good deal. Glendale Supercross from this weekend, uh, Trey and Heavy D. Uh, some things going into it is that it was the closest points championship uh, after five rounds in the history of the sport coming in. Obviously, this was a great track for Tomac in the past with a 1.8 average finish. Uh, Chase Sexton goes down Tuesday and didn't ride much coming into the week. He hurt his left hand, and they considered it to be a bone contusion. Um, but the track, Trey, talk to me about this track. This track was slick and difficult with the two long rhythm sections with one being 16 jumps and a bend within it, man. The, this track was difficult for these riders this year compared to others, I feel. Definitely. One of the things that I think people really like about going to Glendale every year is it has a little bit more space than the average football stadium. You have the space, I know, where they call it the red zone in the NFL. You have a little bit more room to experiment with the track and they really went all out with the rhythm lanes this year 16 jumps in one section is pretty unheard of so seeing the best in the world have a little bit of trouble with it throughout the day i mean that's just proof to you that they're mortal men like all of us even though they look like superheroes sometime but yeah the track was definitely a factor it was a little bit slick i heard them all say but it was weird the racing I expected it seeing the track in practice to be a bit closer, but I feel like in the main event, you know, at least the 450 main event, guys weren't really trying to risk a bunch of stuff. They wanted to just stay upright and settle in. 250, I feel like guys were trying to press the issue a little bit more, but at the same time, you didn't want to overdo it and mess up because you saw Nate Thrasher earlier in the night, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later, but, you know, one minor mistake could result in you flying across the track. So I feel like some of those guys 
we're trying to be a little more calculated. Of course, with the 450 guys, you got a bunch of veterans in that class, guys who've raced for 10, 15 years. And it was definitely interesting on Saturday night. Yeah, Saturday night, Heavy D, that track was, uh, you know, like Trey said, bigger floor, long rhythm sections, uh, 16 jumps with a bend in it. Track was slick, of course. Uh, what were your thoughts on the on the track in Glendale? It was definitely gnarly, man. Like, it, like, like Trey said, like that that sixteen really, it was definitely a hurt of. They they went outside the box highway on that one for sure. I mean, it was just one of those races, man. The track was so open and and fast, dude. It was like like me and my dad was talking. He was like, man, this is one of those tracks. Just, you get out front, it's gonna be all about who gets back on the gas faster. So, I mean, that's that's kind of how it was too. I mean. Now, don't get me wrong, Kenny was out there ripping, but he got that starting. He put it together like no other. He put that track together beautifully. Right, and, you know, going right into the 450 Supercross main event, Ken Roxon gets his first win of the season, 22nd of his career on a very track that was slick. You had to be really precise with your throttle control, and also you had to time the jumps perfectly. Ken Roxon on this track, Trey, in Glendale was a perfect match. Yeah, I feel like that matches his skill set really well. I feel that the technical aspect of Ken's style is kind of underrated. I mean, we talk about it sometimes, but his technique from coming over, racing the GPs for a couple of years, and then running here between his wolf section skill, which is usually really good, and his precise jumping and being able to navigate the slip conditions, it was a great... Um, Perfect storm of events for Roxon, and he finally got that start and got up front that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. He's shown the speed all season, and now he finally put it together and showcased what he's capable of. I saw something from NX Reference on Twitter, and I believe it's the last five main events that Kenny's won. He's led wire to wire, wow. which is pretty impressive. Yep. And that proves once again, you know, I've said for the last few weeks, all he needed was a start and he'll get right back in the thick of things. And if he reels off two or three wins, as I said, it could be trouble for the rest of the guys. He's back to only 15 points down now, I think. But a great night for the team. You know, the ATP Suzuki team from coming in as a privateer organization and now they're a contending winning team. That's huge for them. Last year, obviously, everybody loved Kenny winning the first win for Suzuki in six or seven years. Everybody was happy. And like Steve Mathis said on the Paul Bermex show, last year it was so much of a celebration because we weren't expecting it. But Saturday night was kind of like, oh, cool, Kenny won. Maybe you can go out and do it again. Right, and uh, being consistent and a great start. Ken Roxon is back, Heavy D. Oh, yeah, dude. I don't really think he ever left. It's just one of those things. It's like, you know, consistency, being able to get that start, you know, get comfortable. And for him, I felt like it started. It definitely started in the heat race. He got out front. and He showed that, hey, okay, my speed's there. If I get this start, I'm going to get out front and nobody's, nobody's touching me. And it happened. And I love seeing Kenny win, man. I honestly want to see him win this championship. Wow. I'm hoping he can put, you know, a string of races together and get back in this thing. 
Yeah, and uh, he's going to have a huge mountain to climb, of course. He's got 102, and Jet Lawrence, who takes the red plate, leaving this weekend at 117. So we got about 15 points or so there that he's got to make up. But as you guys know in dirt bike racing, it can, it can uh, tighten up really, really quickly. And second on the night, Jason Anderson qualified fourth, started third, put a consistent ride together, thought that he might be able to catch up to uh, rocks in there and he he said after the race uh, at the post-race interview that he felt like he left a little bit on the table but he messed up a couple of the rhythms that kind of sent him back a little bit but Anderson a great ride there in second Trey that's another guy that we talked about getting to string together a few podiums to get back into this thing and he had a great ride obviously not quite at Kenny's level, but I think this might have been his best showing of the season, maybe other than Anaheim one because he was really fast there as well. Of course, battled for Webb or battled with Webb for second. It was a good ride by Jason. I feel like Jason Anderson is one of the uh, one of the hottest or the coldest riders on the circuit, and it seems like there's no in between. There's been seasons course 2018 champion 2022 when he battled tomac and won a ton of races there are some seasons he comes out and he's a ball of fire and then we have last year or like 2020 and 2021 where he was there but he wasn't quite on that top level that we've seen that and i think he's working towards that this year they mentioned in the off season some kind of suspension or shock change i don't remember which it was exactly but him and Adam C. and Cerullo both had a change last year, and they didn't like it. So they went back or found a different setting. And you can tell that Anderson is much more confident this year. He's running a lot better, and the podium finish is what he needed. He's probably a little bummed out that he didn't get to go up there and try to fight Kenny, but at the same time, second place. And he proved he belonged there. He stayed in second the whole race. And ran a great pace. He wasn't that far off of Kenny throughout the main event. It was a really good showing by him. And that's another guy. You talk about the point standings can flip around at any time. That's another guy that if he starts stacking these really good finishes right in a row, he's going to be right in the thick of it, even though he's 15 down or whatever he is. Yeah, and Anderson on the night, heavy D, putting in uh, some consistent rides and able to stay right there in the thick of it. Second place on the night. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, uh, I think he kind of, I mean, don't get me wrong. Kenny was riding good. And I think Anderson, I feel like he probably had a little bit more. He could, you know, get up there and push to ride with Kenny. But, I mean, Kenny was riding good. But I honestly think, you know, that was, to me, that was like, it, the track, that track was so fast and rhythms was so big. It was one of those, like, all right, like, I, I can, you got to, I got to run a solid pace, but I also need to kind of like, you know, be a little bit cautious just to kind of make it through this one because it was so gnarly, man, just to slide a full mistake and you was, you was done to So I think for him, you know, getting that second was definitely a step in the right direction. And it shows like he can run up there. Everybody knows he can, but I like how he was uh, a bit more smart about it as well. Yeah, and uh, a smart ride. Speaking of smart, from Jet Lawrence, uh, didn't get the best uh, of starts. Says he started uh, there in ninth and worked his way on up through the field, 
past Eli Tomac there with a couple of laps to go and into third. And uh, in the post-race interviews, he said, normally I don't like uh, really or I like really tacky conditions, but tonight was good for me to learn on this type of track. And it was a cool accomplishment to catch and pass Eli and happy I am able to fight up to a podium position tonight. Grabbing the red plate, Jet Lawrence there in that third place position, Trey. That was a really smart ride by Jet. He didn't go over his head on a track that really could have caught you off guard if you did something like that. He worked his way through the field. He went off track a little bit at the start of the main event, but he rebounded. He worked through everybody's favorite rider to pass Vince Freezy. He was really patient behind him. A lot of guys, I feel like when they get behind Freezy, they try to force the issue because they know his reputation and stuff. And Jet just kind of sat back for a lap or so and waited for the right time. He didn't force the issue. And like he said, you know, catching Eli Tomac, running him down, that was big for Jet. It might not be 2022-23 Tomac right now. I think he's building up to at least a better level than what we've seen so far, but that's great for Jet to be able to come back and pass a former champion like that. And this is something that he really could have limited early in the year, but I feel like San Diego and San Francisco, obviously it had weather conditions, and even A2, for example, because he got the bad start to one race. Those struggles of starting either deep in the field or going down and trying to catch back up that he had at those races, I feel like that helped him because with that experience now of both winning and also, in a sense, failing, where he had to ride through the field, that helped him for Glendale because he he looked more confident riding through the field. He was methodical. He took his time, and he didn't do anything crazy, and he walked away with a podium finish and a red plate because of it. And if we keep seeing him put in these rides, if he gets a 7th, 8th place start and works his way up to 2nd or 3rd, on the nights he doesn't get out front and win, that's going to be trouble for the rest of the field. Yeah, heavy D. Jet Lawrence grabs the red plate. I think he, you know, he gains even more confidence than what he had before and uh, grabs third on the night. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good. He, you know, he, he's, been, he's riding smart. I think he, I, I just, I think it's still kind of soon to say, like, you know, he's starting to learn, like, some race, some nights you got to, you know, take what you get. And I could be wrong. He could be learning that pretty fast because, I mean, you know, he, he he learned how to, you know, run up front pretty pretty quick. But, like I said, I think he's learning, like, you know, you're going to have some nights where you're not going to be able to win. And sometimes you just kind of kind of got to lay back and play a, a bit safe and, you know, just kind of, like, take what you can get and, that was a good thing about, like, you know, here. I mean, he, he pushed. You know, he got past the former champ, Tomac. But uh, I definitely think he's learning. You know, he, he sat back, took a third, and now he's got the red plate. And, uh, you know, he's young. He's got way more, you know, even more to learn. But, hey, he, he, yeah, he took the third and he got the red plate. So. Yeah, and did it very smartly. And uh, consistently throughout the day, he did have a couple of, 
mistakes, especially that triple coming out of the corner after the first long rhythm section. He came up short on that triple a handful of times and won in the main event where I think if it was anybody else, they may have gone down. But, man, the leg strength and the ab strength to be able to bring that bike back and um, not go down was awesome to see. And fourth here for Eli Tomac on the night, started fifth. Got up into third, of course, was kind of all by himself there since Anderson and Roxon were pretty long gone. Not long gone, but they were up there for sure. Um, so Tomac looked like he kind of had this in the bag, but Jet Lawrence came up through the pack and passed him. Um, are we hitting the panic button, Trey? Are we hitting the panic button for Eli Tomac for this championship? For the championship? Mm. I don't want to say yes. It's we're only six rounds in, and we got to keep in mind, Eli is coming off an Achilles injury, obviously. But I feel like people forget Eli hadn't been through a major injury in years. Really, the last time before the Achilles injury was 2015 motocross season when he went five and zero, and then he landed on his shoulder at Thunder Rally. Mm-hmm. That's the last major injury he had in his career. And obviously, he's a little bit older now. And no matter what age you are or sport, an Achilles injury is a major injury. So he's still developing, getting up to speed. It was only, what, seven months after the injury when the season started. Right. Obviously, uh, Detroit was not a good race, but we know he had arm pump issues. Championship? I don't know if I want to press the panic button yet. I'm not 100% sure that Tomac is in a great spot right now. I don't think he is. And I don't know what part of the season or what places he's going to be able to go that he could make up ground. Obviously, we still have Daytona, and we know that's his stomping grounds. But I didn't know coming into Glendale that he was so good in that venue. I knew he had won there before, but. A 1.8 average finish is unheard of in a place usually. But at the same time, with how bad Detroit was, fourth wasn't bad. A lot of people were concerned, you know, Jet got him late, but Jet's been flying these last few weeks. He's got that confidence. For Eli, he just needs to continue to settle in, continue to get stronger, He's not in a great spot right now, but if there's anyone who can use their skill set and use what they've learned through the years to adapt and to try to turn things around, it's going to be Eli Tomac. Can Eli Tomac uh, turn this season around with these first six races, Heavy D, or do we are we starting to hit the panic button for this championship? No, I don't. I don't think it's a panic button by any means, you know. Like I say, me personally, I don't, I don't even really think they are pushing for him to win the championship this year. So that's just my personal opinion, you know. Um, I think, you know, just because, like Trey said, that Achilles injury is, it's gnarly, man. That's that's something tough to come back from from any athlete. That's a gruesome injury. And so I think it's one of those things. If he gets back in the groove and gets in it, then, oh, yeah, they're probably like, okay, go for it. If you're comfortable, you're comfortable. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see if Eli can uh, take this week 
break off uh, this coming up weekend and maybe find some stuff, maybe uh, tune himself a little bit better and uh, can get back on the podium or even to a win in, uh, in Arlington. We'll have to wait and see. Fifth place on the night, Jet Lawrence's older brother, Hunter Lawrence. Two brothers in the top five for the first time ever in uh, Monster Energy AMA Supercross time. And, uh, yeah, Hunter rode really, really well, even in his heat race, to hold off um, guys like Cooper Webb and that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, man, he, uh, he rode really, really well and uh, was able to get fifth on the night, Trey. First top five of his 450 career. It was a great ride by him. I feel that he's been kind of underrated during the season so far. Obviously, he hasn't had a ride like that yet. But coming into the year, I thought he would have a Marvin Mooskan-style rookie year. He would start at the lower half of the top ten, but be a top ten guy, and then start working his way forward. And maybe Glendale was the start of him maybe pushing toward a podium. I don't know if he's going to go up and grab any wins, but he had a really good showing on Saturday night. And that's a little more of what I expected from him, at least. Yep. He's obviously learning a lot. Anaheim 1 was rough, but he also got dealt a bad hand of cards going down off the start and having such a bad gate pick for the LCQ and then getting a bad start there. He didn't execute ultimately, but at the same time, that was kind of a character-building moment, too. We've seen, I don't know necessarily about the 450 class, but I remember Jeremy Martin failing to qualify for 250 races when he was the defending champion. Sometimes you need a setback to get to a better place for Hunter. The first few rounds after A1, he was solid. Top 10, there was something about Glendale. He really attacked, obviously, the slippery conditions. The guys who come up from the GP, they ride in everything. It seems like rain, snow, sleet, or hail. Those guys, those guys just press on. Great showing for Hunter. Hopefully, he can keep this up. And that's going to be something that he can grow from in the week off, and he can use that is confidence and motivation saying, hey, I finally got that top five. I belong up here with the best of the best. Well, Heavy had to go and do some uh, work, so we're just going to finish it out with me and you, Trey. And um, Yeah, man, it was a great ride for Hunter Lawrence. I feel like he needed that. Coming in, I had the same expectations as you. I figured that as the season would, would go, he would get better and better and be um, – smarter more mature he would start to figure things out and yeah here in glendale with the track being really really slick uh and also you have to be really good with your timings i feel like hunter is very very good at both of those um and he's shown it obviously previously in the 250 class and uh it showed even better on saturday night and still man right there in that sixth place Dylan Ferrandis on that Phoenix Racing Honda team qualified 13th, started 11th, and he finished sixth on the night. Trey, what a what a guy, what an underrated guy throughout this entire season is this Phoenix Racing Honda team. First time in their 450, you know, career right uh, start, and they have a guy like Dylan Ferrandis getting results like this, and he's eighth in the championship points behind Eli Tomac. Dylan Ferrandis, man, 
as I said last week, I'm kind of running out of things to say. I know. I'm because right he's you. been doing this every week. <laughs> he's solid top 15, kind of unspectacular in qualifying, and then he'll come out swinging and he'll get a top 10 in the main event. And this is two weeks in a row now. He has beaten all of the star Yamaha riders. Yep. You know, the most dominant team in the sport or one of the best, whatever you want to describe them as. But a lot of people thought that it was a bad move going to Phoenix Honda. A lot of people thought it spelled disaster for him to move because he was going from one of the top elite organizations. And the numbers don't lie with the amount of wins and the amount of titles at Star. But these last two weeks, that has had to feel good to catch and pass Eli Tomac. We know he had issues. And then to be in front of Cooper Webb as well this week, it shows not only how good Ferrandis is, but the Phoenix Racing Honda team in general. They have been a solid operation. Getting the bump from Factory Connection, having Ziggy and those guys work with the team as well, and Dylan Ferrandis top 10 in points. We know him more of a motocross guy as well, right? as more of a motocross guy, I should say. So if he's this comfortable and feeling this good in the indoor season, what in the world is he going to do outdoors, hoping that he can stay healthy and make it through the season? That's what I'm interested in. Well, and Another you, great ride by Ferrandis. Yeah, and you think also, too, you know, in the past two years, I don't think he's gotten past round five in a Supercross series. I could be mistaken, but it's normally right there, four, five, six, that he normally gets taken out by injury. Last year was through to whoops at, uh, I believe, I think it was Arlington last year. Uh, so right there, six or seven. And then uh, the year previous, he was done by round two or three. So for him to get past, uh, almost, you know, get to this halfway point and, you know, He's only going to get better as the, as the year goes. He's going to gain more confidence, be like, man, I can run with these guys on this bike, you know? So um, I think it's only going to get better for here. And, I mean, if you look at the title chase, he's right there behind all of those guys that are, you know, the top seven um, in that title fight. And he's right there lurking right behind uh, Eli Tomac by seven, seven points. So, um, you know, you got 93 for... Dylan Ferrandis, and you have Jet Lawrence out front with 117. And like you say, you know, there's so many good guys that if he gets a good start, he can knock this thing on the podium. Definitely. And that's another thing you can take away from this. All of the people that are ahead of him, Jet, Sexton, Kenny, Webb, Anderson, these are the absolute baddest dudes. And here's a guy who went to a privateer team kind of to prove himself and to get comfortable. And he's right there in the mix with the top team spending millions and millions of dollars. It's a testament to him and the team and the amount of work they put in. And I think a disappointing ride on the night um, comes from the number two of Cooper Webb. Normally this is not a good track for him uh, coming out of Glendale. Normally it's, you know, even in his championship winning years, he never podium and never win or has never won in this venue uh, before or in Glendale, I should say. And, uh, yeah, man, just another so-so ride. He he finished, he started in six, ended up getting passed by Ferrandis, and 
there on Sexton, but he was able to get Sexton back and uh for you know and um Hunter ended up getting around him. So man, what a tough what a tough night for uh for Webb, him leaving uh Glendale and with these uh with these points. I feel like he left a lot on the table. He did at the same time though, at least I expected him to not quite be at the level of some of the top guys. The track was not a Cooper Webb style track. Detroit, in my opinion, was more of a missed opportunity for him because of the amount of ruts and how chewed up the track got. And we know his history of taking chewed up, you know, bad condition racetracks, let's be real, and using it to his advantage to catch up to people. I felt like last week was more of a missed opportunity. This week, I really didn't expect him to be at winning speed, at podium speed, but seventh place isn't ideal either. Right. He's not too far out of this championship, but with Jet having what looked like a bad start initially and turning it into a third, that's not a good sign for Webb. And traditionally, Webb gets stronger across the season. So we'll have to wait and see what he can do the rest of the year. But not a great night for the number two. Although, as you said, Glendale and the style of tracks they usually produce there, it's not his specialty. It's not something he's been strong at over the years. Yeah, he can't Hopefully just cut he can down use... into the corners. He, he can't do what he's normally good at, right? Um, he's, yeah. he's not good with, um, like, Tomac able to slide that rear end around and control it by the by the rear uh he wants to cut down into those corners and use that front and it was really hard on a slick track like that to do that for sure and the week off could help him out too how do you put a disappointing race behind you you have a week off to mentally reset work on the things you've been doing well but also work on the things that you've been struggling with and for somebody who is a two-time champion, I'm sure he's going to utilize the off week to the best of his abilities to get better on that Yamaha and to get ready to regroup and refocus for Arlington and the rest of the season. Yeah, and we have the East Coast rounds coming up, right? And so normally this is where Cooper Webb starts to starts to inch his way up into this title fight. And, uh, you know, the two years that he won his championship started pretty much right there on the East Coast. and. Um, so we're getting there for Webb, and then we're also getting ready to go to Daytona here pretty soon as well uh, for Tomac. So these two star Yamaha riders could definitely uh, make up a little bit of ground here on you know Tomac's favorite track at Daytona. Let's see if he can win seven, uh, which will be obviously even going more against his record that he has now. And then of course you know Webb, right? Like you got to think that going East Coast. Those ruts, those types of conditions, these are their style of tracks for sure. More on the more on the website, but uh, Tomac can kill it on the East Coast as uh, as well. So, um, man, we, it's it's a crazy title fight that we have right now, and uh, best finish of the year. Uh, the number twenty seven in eighth place of Malcolm Stewart able to finally get it together, had himself a good heat race there, and was able to carry it into the main event. I'm sure he obviously wanted it wanted more, but eighth place is a start, Trey. I agree. On paper, eighth place doesn't look all that great, but considering how the season started, him running up front in the heat race, 
and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like he was tracking down Webb in the main event at the end of it as well. He was right there. It was a great. Pretty close. Yeah. That was a great sign for him. The Husqvarna team in general, we've talked about it in the past couple weeks, and it's been evident. They have just had a miserable start to the season. For Malcolm to get a top 10, but not only to get a top 10, to run around some of the top guys finally, that's huge. One thing we really haven't talked about with Malcolm is last year, one of the things that hurt him, I feel like, to the start of this year, other than the bad luck, is he only had two or three rounds before he was injured last season. Right. And when you're away from the racing for so long, it's hard to get back to that level of pace. I know these guys are the best in the world, but when you're racing every week, you know what to expect pace-wise and fitness-wise as to being off for 11 months, no matter how much experience you have. But now Malcolm's finally getting back into shape, getting more confidence. I think it showed on Saturday night. He was back in a place where I feel like we're used to seeing him. He's not in the top five yet, not on the podium yet, but there were definitely signs of improvement, and they can learn a lot from this. And Malcolm, you know, confidence-wise, this will be his best ride in a long time. And another guy going into the off week who could use that as something to grow on and maybe come out swinging for Arlington. And I think another rider that you have to think that is going to appreciate this uh, weekend break is uh, the number one, a Chase Sexton. Got that hand injury, like I talked off uh, from the front or from the beginning. Bone contusion in that hand. It was in the left hand. Uh, thank God it wasn't the, the throttle hand because I think it would have been a lot more challenging and the result could have been way worse. Um, but on a night that Chase did not have a lot of confidence, was hurting to walk away with a ninth and still be right there in that title fight. You can't really go too wrong about that. And that was a gritty ride just to even be able to make, uh, make it in the ninth. Yeah, this is a perfect time for an off week for Chase Sexton. I mean, I'm, I've not rode at a high level. I've not rode really at all. So I can't speak to what he's going through, but I have to imagine, you know, it's not just that he has an injury and he can't put 100% effort out on the track. Not having all of the grip strength has to mess with you mentally. To not be able to hold on as tight or as strong as normal with a bone issue that he's having. For him to salvage a ninth, I think that was all right. Could he have maybe got a fifth or a sixth if conditions were a little better? Possibly, but to get injured during the week and to still come out with a top 10 as much competition as there is in the field, that's a good sign. Even though he lost the red plate, even though he had a bad weekend, it was not a catastrophic weekend. He could have easily made a mistake and finished, like, I don't know, 14th or something like that. And for him to go out there, and he was still competitive. Obviously, he wasn't the normal Chase Sexton, but he was still competitive racing with Cooper Webb, as we talked about a few minutes ago, and some of the other guys. For him, just take this time off, rehab it, whatever he needs to do to get back to 
as close as 100% as possible before the next round. But great timing for the off week. And for him, it wasn't a bad race considering all the scenarios that were happening for him. He's still in the thick of his points chase. So if he can get healed up, he'll be right back in it. Yeah, and I think that if he wins, if we get to Salt Lake City and he ends up being the 450 Supercross champion, I think he's going to look back on this race and be like, thank God that I was able to keep it together, keep it composed, and come away with that ninth because it could have been, like you said, it could have been way worse. He could have been 14th, 15th, uh, or he could have maybe not even raced. I heard beforehand from my sources saying that he may not even race at all. So um, just to see him out there qualify in a, in a good position, seventh, that's normally not what we see from Sexton. Normally he's right there in the top three, top five, sometimes even on top. But for him to put down good qualifying laps, have a good heat race, able to get straight into the main event, didn't have to go to the LCQ or nothing like that, able to just put in some good laps. He was battling with those guys there in the beginning, but as you can see there towards the end of the race, he obviously faded back. That arm started to bug him quite a bit, and um, he started coming up short on a couple of uh, on a couple of the rhythms as well, and you know with the 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 arm, the, the hand strength that you got to have to be able to take hits like that um, is pretty, pretty intense. So for him to come away with this ninth, if we, like I said, if we show up in Denver, the race is over and he's holding that number one plate, he's definitely going to be looking back on this race for sure. And another rider and Chase's teammate, man, a night it could have been for the number seven of Aaron Pleasanger ends up winning the heat race by a good margin. Over, over the guys in the heat race and gets a great start. Reminded me a lot of San Diego um, that Ken Roxon was out front and Pleasanger was just right on the wheel of him and just tracking him and staying right there with him. And as you know, as, as you see on the broadcast, he just slips the wheel and goes right into the berm after the uh, triple before the left-hander going down the uh, front straightaway. And man, a night it could have been for the number seven of Aaron Plessinger. I don't know if I'm going to be too harsh on him right here. Oh, boy. He didn't show a lot of speed in the heat race, but one thing we've been talking about the last few weeks since he's won is the fact that is Aaron Plessinger for real? Is he a championship contender? And to me, Saturday night confirms no for me. And the reason I say that is because obviously he went down towards the start of the race and he was back pretty far in 19th. But my reasoning behind this, and I know there are a ton of fast guys in the 450 class. There is talent and people who have won 250 championships and 450 titles all over the board. You have the best of the best in one of the stacked fields. I know everybody says it, and it's kind of cliche at this point, but one of the most stacked fields we've seen in a long time. But if he can't work his way through the likes of Christian Craig and Shane McElrath and Justin Hill fairly quickly, he's not going to be able to salvage points and pass a Cooper Webb or pass an Eli Tomac. I'm not trying to rag on the guy, and I think that Aaron Plessinger has improved. You know, he has made that leap, in my opinion, 
from a good rider to a great rider. But I still feel like he has work to do if he wants to get from a great rider to an elite rider. It was a decent job salvaging points for AP. But at the same time, if he wants to win this championship, in my opinion, which obviously I say I'm not an expert for a reason. I don't race at this level. I don't know 100% what it takes. but only getting a 10th when maybe he could have got a 6th or a 7th, who knows. I feel like that's going to cost him, and that at least is my reasoning for saying he's not quite a championship contender yet. Yeah, I I think I'm on the flip side. I believe that he is showing speed. Um, like you said about the heat race, I felt like the heat race, man, I felt like he rode really really good i was watching a lot of his style um and just the way that he's riding the bike what the bike looks like when he's out there and it seems like him and the bike are right there uh with each other he knows exactly what the bike's gonna do and i don't know i feel like this is like you said he's a different rider this year and obviously won his first main event he got the red plate held it two times this year already and I believe that race was just a bad luck race with with him going down and then coming across the line after he got up, he had to wait for literally everybody to go by. So he's I think he's in like 20th at this point. And maybe the bike had had a little bit of issues or something like that. But yes, you would think that he would come up through the pack a little bit faster, but I'm not I'm not. I'm not there to give it up on Plessinger for the title just yet. I think if he has another one or two more rounds like this, uh, where, you know, if he gets a good start and doesn't finish there and either goes backwards or he crashes and he's out, um, you know, out of that top five, top four, top three, whatever, then I'll be right there with you. But I feel like he's just a different rider. Like, for example, last year when we went to Tampa and it was the first time that we saw Hunter Lawrence uh, this year. And I remember the first free practice watching him ride. And I can tell that his riding style was a lot different than the years previous. He was more over the front going through, uh, going through the whoops, which means he's more in an aggressive position and he's ready to take on these whoops instead of maybe um, – leaning back too far and being kind of scared of the whoops. It seemed like he was a lot more in control. But what I'm getting to is I'm seeing that in Plessinger. I feel like in years previous, he hasn't been very comfortable with the bike or maybe even with himself. But this year is a different Plessinger, I, I feel. And so yet we both have different and conflicting um, uh, comments about Plessinger. But I feel like they're both... Um, you know, rightfully so, right? I mean, he's been riding good this year, but also the mistakes. You can't have the mistakes if you're going to be in this championship fight. And if you're going to show these guys that you really are for real, you can't leave something like that on the table. Um, so AP's got some work to do. He's still sitting third in the championship title. Um, and, you know, we're going to have to see what, what happens. We're going east where the tracks are, are, are rough. You would think, you know, with his uh, motocross background and being really good outdoors and and uh, and all of that, you would think that this is going to be a good track for him. So we're going to – our 
good tracks for him coming up. So I feel like we're uh, in for a treat, especially with uh, us going to the East Coast rounds. And, man, 11 through 22, um, Cooper, I felt like he would have had a little bit better of a, of a day, um, but he starts 10th and finishes 11th. Um, Christian Craig, uh, another bummer ride after we thought maybe that because uh, I know he did the guest podcast with Steve Mathis there on his network, and they talked about a lot of different things and felt like he was starting to get into a better place. Uh, but I think that Anaheim 1 um, crash that he had was a little bit more uh, mind-boggling for him uh, than we imagine. Um, but, yeah, uh, out of the other guys that are on the list, uh, Simonson is one that you know sticks out to me, maybe even a – um, a Justin Barsha down there in 18th when they said that uh, this bike was better coming into this race. And then Barsha goes on social media and says, the bike put me down. So um, anything, uh, and you know, you do the Young Sung Heroes up on the website. So is there anything from the riders from 11th to 22 uh, that you want to talk about on the, uh, on the night? You talked about panic button for Tomac earlier. Obviously he wasn't in the, championship conversation but i'm slamming the panic button on justin barsha right now it has been rough these past few weeks 18th place a couple falls as you said they thought they got the bike better and he says he goes down twice and it's the bike's fault i don't know obviously some of the top riders are very finicky and i saw some people saying well jgr barsha is back but you never know. It's it's not a good sign, though. For someone his caliber to end the main event in 18 without having, like, a major crash or a mechanical issue, that's concerning. Yeah. One guy... So we're hitting the panic I will button? Give, we're, we're, hitting the, we're hitting the panic button for him? For Barsha, we're slamming that thing. Oh, we're going to slam it? Yeah. I don't... This is not good. Barsha if he is rattled with the bike and uncomfortable we've not seen Barsha this unhappy in in years and an unhappy Barsha is not a fun Barsha usually well and you got to think I mean coming out coming off of LA it looked like he was gonna win you know one of those races he got around the fastest guys there and you know obviously he had the uh the injury but man you you can't you can't or you think that he can just take those settings that he was doing so good with last year, uh, right? You know, it wasn't even, you know, that long ago, right? It was just right there in September. So you would think that he could just transition, but they must have moved around a lot of parts on that motorcycle uh, coming into this year or with that brand new bike, uh, coming into this year. And yeah, it has not been going well from, uh, for the gas gas side, even on, uh, the 250 side outside of Pierce Brown, but Ryder D and you know those guys, they just they just it just hasn't gone together yet, or it hasn't come together yet. I should say. No, it hasn't. It's definitely been a rough go. One guy I was also want to mention, I spoke about him a little bit earlier, Vince Freezy. I know a lot of people are huge fans of Vince Freezy and his annex, but. He had a solid top 15 ride. He rode up front a little bit, and he rode smart. He didn't do anything crazy. 
I just want to give a shout out to him because myself included, I've mentioned some things that are bad about him before too. Usually when we talk about him, it is in a negative light. But he's had kind of a rough go to start the season at some rounds. So for him to run up front and get a 13th, solid ride for him. And I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Yeah, you ha- you have to, especially in this stack field too, right? And a lot of people are, uh, I heard, you know, Steve and some of those guys, they talked about how he might have been in the way for those guys to allow those front runners to get up because he started fourth. He was right there with, uh, with Cooper and Anderson or Anderson and Pleasanger and all of those guys, right? But he got kind of stuck there. And like you said, Jet had to get around him, got around him pretty easily. But then he kind of held up the guys that were behind him. Um, but he was, you know, he didn't make any crazy moves or anything like that to those guys. He held his line. The guys ended up finally getting around him and that sort of thing. But yeah, you came away with a 13th. And like you said, man, normally it's nothing positive. Uh, coming from the freezy camp, but this weekend it does. I feel like even in the heat race, he had a good heat race, got up to a good start, you know, got dropped a little bit, and uh, same thing for the main event. I mean, the 13th, uh, is that his best finish of the year, Trey? Yes. Okay, so... His yeah. previous best was a 16th at the Triple Crown. There you go. So he betters his, uh, betters his finish, and uh, yeah, ninth in qualifying, still that's solid with the amount of guys that you have in here, and... Uh, yeah, so uh, great ride for Vince Freeze. Uh, anything else 450-wise uh, that we didn't talk about or maybe we should talk about? Uh, closest championship battle between the top, I, I, you know, I'm going to say 7-8 with Tomac and Ferrandis right there, um, all within, you know, 20 points or less. So um, this is going to get interesting, and with a week off, these guys are going to be able to, uh, you know, probably rest a little bit, but also – know what they're looking for as far as the bike goes or what they're um how they're feeling uh going in and what to fix uh heading into Arlington um in two weeks. Yeah, I just hope it stays this way. Somebody said the last year things were so close after a few rounds, I wanna say it was like twenty fourteen and that was one of those Villapoto just completely smokes everybody by the end of the year seasons. Right. So I'm hoping that history doesn't repeat itself and we have a close fight. Do I think we're going to have a Chad Reed, James Stewart, 2009 title fight? It's hard to tell, but I want it to stay interesting. And it would be really cool if we had a title fight stayed between more than two guys. Usually it's only a couple guys, but if three or four guys can really mix it up for the title throughout the whole year. That's going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, I believe so as well. And man, it keeps me on my feet every single weekend. And uh, I'm sure you guys and listeners and Trey as well. I mean, it's, this has been one hell of a year so far. And like I said, man, we're not even halfway yet. We're close, but um, man, these weeks have flown by. We were talking to Simonson earlier on the, uh, on the pod, of course. And, had him on a guest and man, he was saying how fast these weeks have gone. Um, you know, he can't believe that we're already six rounds down. So, um, man, it's, it's, it's crazy that we're here and yeah, I think we're going to have a great title fight shaping up for sure. Let's head into the two fifty supercross main event, uh, West series and thinking that 
this is a tight a tight points championship for these 250 Supercross West guys uh, between Levi Kit- Kitchen, Jordan Smith, and RJ Hampshire. Uh, obviously, Jordan Smith and Levi Kitchen came into the night both holding the red plate. They're about to have a six-week break right after this race. So someone wants to have that red plate to themselves and the confidence heading into that long break before they go to Seattle. Uh, can RJ finally get two victories in a, in a row for his career on the first time? Is Kitchen able to keep that cons- consistency? And is Jordan Smith able to put in a great ride mirroring his heat race uh, to grab his second win of the championship uh, confidence moving forward? So there were a lot of things going into this 250 main event that you were thinking because a lot of because these guys are just not consistent uh, or in the past they haven't been consistent right so there's a lot of things and one of the things that you know like I said can someone break out and have that red plate to themselves and the confidence heading into that long break and yeah RJ got it done RJ was able to uh, get his first two victories in a season and it's only his fourth career. 250 Supercross main event. That was a crazy stat when I looked at it earlier, um, and I couldn't believe it, Trey. Yeah, me either. RJ, well, first, I want to say, since I forgot to say this earlier, I'm pretty sure you picked Ken Roxon for the win in the 450 class. I did. So, shout out to you. Yep. Your predictions went a whole lot better than they did at Detroit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think, and I had... Uh, I had Smith uh, for the uh, for the win in the 250. So did Heavy D, and you had RJ. So uh, I got yeah. one, and you got one. I just felt like, for me, my reasoning of picking RJ before the race was he had a couple air races. He was really good in the triple crown. He just couldn't quite beat Levi. But the week before was a bit of a struggle. That's when he was running third, and I think he slipped on the final lap. It was a great round for RJ, proving he was third place. He was kind of slipping back, or at least everybody thought he was slipping back a little bit. He was right there, close. But people thought with Levi and Jordan getting a couple wins that maybe they would break away. And RJ proved that was wrong. And it was funny because it wasn't like Anaheim won where he immediately got out to the front. He was right there with those guys, and then he ended up just pulling away. I felt All like of the championship contenders. I felt like that was that was the perfect place for RJ to be because off the start, the two championship leaders are right there, Kitchen and Smith, one and two. RJ had to get around one guy, I think, to get right there into that third-place position, or he got there right away, and he just lurked behind those guys. The entire time, I'm saying to myself, man, this is the perfect place for RJ to be to allow those two championship leaders uh, and points championship leaders to battle it out, and RJ will be right there for the mistakes that happens with those guys, and that's exactly what happened. 100%. That was a great spot for him. And it's funny that we get to talk about RJ as the guy who was patient. (laughs) Right. And the guy who waited his turn. Somebody who's known for riding over his head 
I feel like the biggest example was the water slide from East Rutherford last year of him just sending it on the final corner. Dude, us and now, in the press box were dying laughing. Like, bro, because he slid like 40 feet. I swear to God. He's, he slid so far just to try to get Chet Lawrence in that final corner. RJ, great ride. Starting off watching those guys. For Levi and Jordan, they were focused on getting the win, definitely, but I feel like the others saw a target on their back because they were the co-red plate guy. Nobody wants to be the co-points leader. You want the red plate all to yourself and the glory that comes with being the points leader. I feel like that's one of the reasons they might have messed up a few times is because they were focused so much on trying to win and get that red plate for themselves and to beat the other rival. And that's where RJ came up. He was only six or eight points behind, not that far, but he could also sit back and say, all right, I'll just wait. And that's exactly what he did. And I'm not saying he wasn't fast either because he was great all night, but this is a huge ride for RJ. I feel like we've talked about every week this year somebody having a ride that we could say this could be a championship-winning ride. In my opinion, that was a statement win by RJ. Him being the guy who waited his turn instead of trying to take an unnecessary risk and force the issue, that was big, something that we've not really seen out of RJ. And if he limits the mistakes... These next few rounds, the speed has never been the question. If he limits these mistakes, it might get close once again up at the top, but with another guy right in there as well. And Husky, they haven't won a title in some years. Supercross, their last title was the year Anderson won the 450 title and Osborne won 250 East. That was 2018. Obviously, they had the 450 outdoor title with Osborne, but that's a pretty decent drought. And with the struggles of the 450 team, if RJ can get a championship and get some morale to that team, that could be huge to the Husqvarna organization. I agree with you. And I think another thing uh, and another good ride was out of Levi Kitchen. He ended up grabbing the whole shot. Him and Jordan Smith went back and forth. Um, he dropped back to third there for a while. Um once Smith got around him, and then RJ ended up getting around him as well, and uh, Smith ended up going down, and uh, RJ was still out front, so Kitchen was right there, and then Jordan came up onto the back end of Kitchen there in that first rhythm section, and uh, man, it he didn't see, uh, he didn't know if he could jump on those uh, on those lights that were on the jump. And uh, so he ended up taking it easy, and Jordan just went for it. And good thing they both didn't get. Good thing they both didn't get. Uh, didn't get hit because, uh, man, that could have been really ugly. But man, what a consistent ride! I feel like, like I said last week, we're seeing a different Eli Kitchen this year. And uh, yes, it was a great ride for RJ, but I'm sure he's still thinking about Kitchen in the back of his mind, being like, man, this guy is a different rider. Uh, this year. I'm sure Smith is thinking it as well. For Levi, the whole light situation, a lot of people were talking after Anaheim won 
he passed uh, his teammate Bowen through the Red Cross section. I believe it was Lux Turner or somebody was down. And he sort of took advantage of it. And I feel like people were getting on to him a little bit because of that. And at the same time, I feel it was smart to be cautious with the lights the other night. With him in a red plate position, you don't want to put yourself in a place where you're at risk of being either cut points or being docked actual positions. Exactly. So for him to just ride through there and be conservative, it was probably the best thing he could have done. And it was great that Jordan was able to swerve to the left a little bit. It sucks that Jordan went down, but he got right up. He was unhurt, and he didn't land on Levi either. I feel like that's the best situation that could have happened there. Obviously, in an ideal world, both of those guys get through there, and there's no problems at all, no crashes. But Jordan went down but got right back up, and he didn't land on Levi. It was kind of the best of both worlds. Great ride by Levi. As you've said, the consistency hasn't really been there. He's been on the podium or even winning before, and then it'll have an eighth out of nowhere. And we haven't seen that this year, which is a great sign for him. And for Jordan, he had a couple mistakes, but he charged back forward. He was down to seventh, and he had some really good guys he had to get back around. I think him being patient, and then when Mitchell Oldenburg put that move on Juju, kind of sent him towards the outside of the corner. It wasn't a dirty pass, but it was aggressive. And Jordan to just kind of ride through and be like, all right, here's two free spots. Yep. That was great for him, salvaging a fourth out of the night. This points battle is going to be fun. Yeah. And there's no clear favorite. And the last time there was kind of three guys in the mix for a championship and no clear favorite, we got one of the all-time thrillers at Vegas in 2017. Hopefully this keeps up. I'd love to see these guys keep trading wins because if we get to, say, a three-rider winner-take-all showdown at Salt Lake City, <laughs> grab your popcorn. <laughs> and especially if those three start out front. I mean, you got to think, off the start of this race in Glendale, off the start, all three of those guys are right there, and that makes you want to go and grab your popcorn because I was like, man, this is going to be a hell of a race right here. It didn't end up being as good of a race as I thought uh, when I saw it, but it it gave you great entertainment for sure. I mean, with uh, Jordan leading and ends up going down and, um, you know, Jordan and Kitchen deal and RJ coming through and, Man, it was, a, it was a great race, and yes, like you said, when we get back to Seattle, I think these guys are going to be hungrier than ever to make a statement and try to grab uh, another win. Um, third on the night, Joe Shimoda. It's his first podium of the year on this Honda HRC team. Starts in seventh, works his way on up, obviously, to third. He gets gifted there a little bit by, by Jordan Smith, but this is a start. Um, Trey, I believe that this is a uh, this is a start. Qualified third, and uh, yeah, get some good points on the night, and yeah, seems like the confidence is starting to uh, to build back up with him now. After the after the race, he said, "Kind of got gifted some kind of way to get uh, to get my groove uh, to get my groove again." Six week break, and uh, man, we just got to keep working. Finally. Joe has some positive momentum going on his side. Not a good start to the season. 
which a lot of people put some pressure on him too. He was going in as the championship favorite. Whether he got handed the podium or not, you have to capitalize on other people's issues. That is a part of racing. And the third was absolutely a much-needed result for him. He's still not quite on that winning level that RJ and Levi and Jordan have shown of speed and pace through the season. But a third place is definitely going to be a confidence booster for him. I agree. Uh, Fifth place, uh, we talked about Jordan Smith there in fourth. We talked about him for quite a while, North Carolina native, of course. So we're always rooting for our North Carolina natives. But, uh, yeah, he's definitely got to make some moves in Seattle whenever we get there. So I think this six-week break is uh, good for a lot of these guys, and they're going to be ready and prepped uh, for Seattle whenever whenever we do get there. Um, fifth place on the night, Garrett Marchbanks. What a hell of a ride. Starts in 14th and makes his way on up to fifth, uh, qualified seventh. And, yeah, fourth place in this championship fight right there in front of Joe Shimoda. Man, it's been a good start for for Garrett. Outside of Anaheim 1, I think this has been a good season for Garrett so far on this Club MX 250. I'd argue a little bit, say, other than the Triple Crown race, uh, well, which yes. he got taken down one of the motos. Yes, but, but yeah. It has been a good year for Garrett. I expected him to be a top five guy. He should have won San Diego probably if it wasn't for the lap traffic. Yep. But top five, it was a very Garrett Marchbanks ride. Start in the middle of the pack and then claw forward. Yep. And that's something, you know, when he's been able to start up front, he's had great rides. He showed winning speed or podium speed. I mean, high point last year, he just latched on to Jet and Kenny for the first half of the race. I was right there just kind of marveling. I was like, this guy who I knew was really good, that kind of showed me that he was a little bit better than even I thought. Right. If you were able to stick with those guys. And it was a good ride out of him Saturday night. Fourth place in the standings for him. I'm sure he wants to be closer to the title fight, but he's proved once again that the Club MX team is for real, that he is for real, and he's proving to people why he stayed in the 250 class, I believe. Because there were a lot of questions with how good he did on the 450 last year, and even 2022 outdoors. He was solid. He was a top 10, top 15 guy. For him to kind of quiet those questions down a little bit. And he's a little bit off of the championship guys. But at the same time, he has a comfortable gap to fifth. He's kind of in his own little zone. It's been a solid season apart from the Triple Crown race. And another ride he can be proud of on Saturday night. Yeah, and I think another person that had a great ride is the number 55 of Mitchell Oldenburg. Best of the year for him in that sixth place position on that. MCR ride uh man he had a really really good showing in his heat race as well battling his teammate Mumford there but six on the night he started uh started there in ninth and uh worked his way on up of course to that sixth place position Mitchell Oldenburg Trey what a ride really good showing by Mitchell Oldenburg he's been one of the most reliable 250 guys in the past several years obviously he's been racing for over a decade now it's kind of weird to think about, but he has the veteran race craft, and he still has a lot of speed. Uh, a couple of my buddies and I, we did 
something in the vein of what Paul X did on their show. They did like a 450 draft where they picked so many 450 riders for a team and whoever had the most points at the end of the season. Me and a couple of my buddies did that, but we also picked 250 guys, and I made sure to pick Mitchell Oldenburg because he's usually a reliable top 10 guy. And other than the Triple Crown race, that's exactly what he's done this year. He showed really good speed, too, at Glendale. And for the Moto Concepts team, that was great for them. They have obviously had really good riders in the past. They've won Daytona with Justin Brayton, had really good results. And Oldenburg proves that, once again, he belongs in that class, and he is a really solid rider. He is a great person to have in that class because you always need those veteran guys, that presence of the people who can go out and be quiet and a little bit under the radar, but to get results. And for that team, I know that's what they want, to have a guy in the top 10, get a little bit of TV time every now and then, and he doesn't ride over his head. He's smart, and he's usually pretty smooth. It was another great performance by Oldenburg, and I feel like I saw a stat out there that mentioned something about him catching Martin Davalos in like most career 250 laps, oh, wow. which also shocked me because it felt like Martin Davalos was on a 250 from the time Noah built the arc. Yeah, but yeah, I mean yeah. for Oldenburg, see a lot of a lot of racing seasons for Davalos for sure. Yeah, great uh, ride by Mitchell Oldenburg. He is a solid dude. Yeah, no kidding. And I mean, coming into it, um, he had uh an average of uh eight point six finish. So for him to bump that up a little bit and get into the sixth place position is really really good. And Position one through six of those riders that we just spoke about, we finally get to uh, the rookie of the field instead of the veterans of the field. And the first rookie we have here is the number 929 of Julian Beaumaier. Started 10th, uh, worked his way on up to 7th. I felt like that was a really good ride uh, for Juju. And I, I think all night, I think he rode really, really well. He qualified, uh, let's see here, he follow, qualified 8th. And yeah, so I feel like he had a really, really good day. Um, Anaheim won. He showed a lot of speed, of course. Um, and it's been a little bit of a struggle from there. But in this race right here, he was able to bring it back and put it in a consistent seventh place ride. I'm not too great on my Arizona geography. Obviously not a West Coast guy, but this should have been his home race. He is an Arizona guy. Yep. Lake Havasu, that area. For him, I believe he set the bar too high at Anaheim 1. And what I mean by that is sometimes when you come out as a rookie, you show up and you set the world on fire, and then you get humbled a little bit the next few rounds. And that's kind of what happened to him. He led laps in the heat race and was up front in the main event there. And then the next couple weeks were a little bit of a struggle for him. But a seventh is definitely a step back in the right direction. I think he's had a solid rookie year. He's had a couple little mistakes, but nothing too big. And we saw with his racecraft last year in the Supercross Futures races, especially after he got picked up by KTM, he races with a lot more of a mature mindset than he should have for his age. 
because he's what 17 or so yep and he rides a lot of times as smooth and calm as a veteran for him to get seventh that's what he needs to do in my opinion just keep stacking top tens get back in that top five every couple rounds or so he's having a solid rookie season is it spectacular is it going to jump off the page in a few years and people are going to go hey he had an incredible rookie season not really but he's doing what he needs to do he's logging laps he's getting solid finishes and he's learning not only the different types of stadiums but the style of tracks you had the mud conditions which he struggled in a little bit but that will help him develop as well. You had the long rhythm section, heavy Glendale track being able to get through the season healthy if he can, and to continue building results. That's going to be huge for his future. I agree. And I think by the time we get to the super motocross world championship there at the end, I think that Juju might be one of those guys to keep an eye out for that. um, You know, he may be able to grab a podium um, at the end there when we, combine all of these 250 riders if he can keep the same I can see him almost having a rider D in Charlotte uh, where he just comes out nobody's really thinking about him and he just does really really well Um, that's what I was thinking yeah in that eighth place position uh, 36 oh Mr. Phil Nicoletti um, qualifies 10th on the night uh, or on the day I should say and then uh, starts in sixth but moves back to eighth um, I honestly, I don't think I even saw him once on the broadcast. I'm not even going to lie. So I couldn't really tell you what I thought about it. But eighth um, on the night, you would think that he thinks that he should be a top five guy. I don't think I saw him on the broadcast either now that you say that. But it was a great round for Phil in the sense that it was uneventful. He has had all kinds of chaos this year. Yep. And, of course, Bad Luck Phil pretty well documented. Of course, he has a huge fan base, a bunch of fans from his honesty and stuff on the Pulp Max show and his colorful language at times. But it was a solid showing. Speed has never – he's always been a solid guy, but I don't think of Phil Nicoletti as a really speedy, fast guy. And that track at Glendale is not Phil Nicoletti's style with the big rhythm lanes and changing up what you can do through them. Yep. He has always said for years, just jump the jumps. <laughs> and yep. that's kind of his MO. Just get through it. And that's what he did. He got a top 10 finish, eighth place. I think he's up to 12th in points now after writing the Unsung Heroes today. Yep. He might have slipped back a couple spots and been a little disappointed by that. But after some of the struggles he's had, whether they've been his fault or not, a lot of it has been bike issues. And then he went down one of the races, uh, the Triple Crown, after running up front. A good, uneventful day is exactly what he needed. And he's going to enjoy this break. I know he said something about going to Daytona as a spectator, probably, and trying to enjoy the weekend and take a little bit of a mental break. Hopefully we see Filthy Phil back up front for the rest of the season. Yeah, and another great ride coming from uh, the number 73, a Robbie Wageman on that Team Solitaire uh, machine in ninth. Uh, I believe that's his best finish of, of the year. I don't believe it's his best finish of his career, um, but this was a solid ride for Robbie Wageman. Been doing a lot of the AMA Arena Cross Series uh, races in between. 
some of these rounds that they had off or uh, even before the series started. So, yeah, what a great ride for Robbie Wageman there in ninth on the night. In my opinion, and people will see this if they check out the Two for the Unsung Heroes articles when it gets uploaded, that off weekend of racing, and he was third and second in his main events in Prescott Valley. Right. So really good. He was just behind Ryan Brees in the second main event. He got held up a little bit due to lap traffic. But he was kind of catching Brees, and Brees has established himself as a guy who's won the last six or eight main events, I think it has been. Yeah. So Robbie getting a top 10, great ride. He's been kind of building toward this. He missed the main event at San Francisco, but also not known for his mud riding ability. California guys, some of those guys aren't best, but a step in the right direction, that heartbeat hot sauce, team solitaire team, they are a solid effort. And they've shown that, which Robbie last year left for Barak Suzuki and came back to the team. He's been kind of that guy that has taken that team a little bit above the level they were at. Right. Before him, they had main event guys, and they were usually in there, but they were kind of like a 15th to 20th place team. And I feel like he's elevated them to top 10 contenders, and obviously they have Cole Thompson as well, who's really solid. And a great run by Robbie. I was looking through his results. I know he has 11 career top 10s. His best career finish from what I see is a 7th. So a couple positions off of that, but still, a ninth place is a really solid ride for Robbie, and he had a really good start in the main event. I think he crossed the finish line to start to race in top five. Great ride by Robbie. Shout out to the team, to the team solitaire group. Really solid team. Great to see them running well this year. Absolutely, and uh, you know they're some of the coolest people in the pits. If you guys haven't checked them out on social media or on uh, X Twitter. You guys need to go and check them out. They always have some funny content, and they're always uh, in the conversations of some things. So uh, make sure to go and check them out. And yeah, Robbie has done phenomenal uh, this year from AMA Arena Cross to uh, Supercross, of course. Um, tenth on the night, Hunter Yoder, man. This this kid right here has been on the rise uh, for sure. Um, heat races have been doing really, really well. His starts have been phenomenal, man. Um, you know, he, he came across the line in eighth, but if you watch in the first turn, I mean, he was one of the first guys to get actually to that first turn. Um, he got pushed wide a little bit, but man, what a what a good start to the season. And he's on this uh, new team for himself, the PRMX team. Man, what a, what a solid start to this year for Hunter Yoder. And now he gets six, week off, uh, six weeks off to even better himself and maybe be better uh, come Seattle. Yoder said he was sick a little bit the last week, I think, in his Instagram post that I saw. But a 10th place, this is a guy who was a Geico Honda amateur for some who might not be aware. And then he turned pro after the team had shut down. He was on the Storm Lake Honda team, 22. He made a couple main events, but nothing spectacular. Then last year when he switched to PRMX, he kind of broke out as a top 15 guy and now three top tens and five races so far this year has been really good for him. Yep. He's proven that he belongs. Obviously last year he had a good year, but sometimes it's kind of hard to back it up and he has definitely proven that he is very talented and he's going to be here to stay in the two class. 
Uh, when I talked with him, he told me that, and I guess it had been out a little bit before, but I hadn't caught it, that he's back with a team for next year as well. Nice. So seeing Yoder take that step to be a top 10 guy is great for him. Honestly, last season, I thought maybe he should have gotten the call from Mitch Payton when they needed a fill-in guy. He didn't get that, but obviously staying with the PRMX team has worked as well. As you said, to continue gaining more confidence and to gel with the team, it seems like that is a partnership that is working really well together. And it's awesome to see him up there. A guy I've got to interview a couple times. Seems like a really solid dude. Stoked to see him up there, and hopefully he keeps putting it in the top 10 these next few races after the break. Yeah, he's he's been a really good guy. Last year I got to know him quite a bit with some of the races that I went to, and uh, he actually picked me out. He uh, I haven't talked to him yet, and I believe it was Denver. Uh, he came up and and asked me if I was the guy from Imperative MX, and I said, yeah. He's like, man, I've been watching you know your TikToks and your social media and things like that. Uh, it's really cool what you do and that sort of thing. And I even gave him a, uh, interview after, uh, that round as well. So yeah, man, it's, uh, it's awesome to see what Hunter's doing. I remember Hunter back on the 150, uh, Geico, uh, bike back in the day, uh, or Amsoil bike. I can't remember. I think it was the Geico bike, but dude, that 150 he had was unbelievable back in the day. And, um, yeah, to see him where he is, uh, to see him where he is now compared to, I say 2022, it is a huge step and crazy what a couple of years and confidence can do to a rider like uh, Hunter Yoder and his caliber for sure. Um, from 11 to 22, um, obviously we had a really good LCQ there. Uh, we had a restart on it, and man, I feel bad for Jorgensen and for uh, um, BC, who, uh, or uh, yeah, BC, who, uh, had to come through uh, the the pack uh, or went down on that restart uh, and had to make their way on up. But, man, Billy Leninovich, what, what can you say about this guy? He gets 19th in the main event, but he just wanted to get into the main, saved himself from going to the heat race, saving all of his energy for the LCQ, and he has to do it twice nearly. Uh, two gate drops, of course, for that LCQ because of the red flag, but he put himself in a lot better position in that second start, that is for sure. Um, but anything else, uh, the only other thing uh, that I see from this uh, 11 to 22 is, of course, uh, Anthony Bourdon. Uh, he had normally been right there in that 6th, 7th, 8th place position. But on this night, it was tough for him. He finished 12th. I mean, he started 15th and was only able to make it up to 12th. Um, but I felt like he would have done looking at the results and where he has been normally this year so far, I would figure that he would have been up a little bit farther. And of course I believe is this St. Clair's second main event that he's made this year or first? Cause I thought he made a St. Cyr. Yeah. St. Cyr. Yeah. That's his first career main event. Oh, that's his Shout career. Out to oh, him. First, there you go. First career main event. I yeah. thought that he might've made it in the mud uh, at one of the races. And I figured that we talked about him, him and uh, Severia. Uh, I believe both of them, that was their career first main events in Severia, man. He went for blood on that final, on those final two laps in that four, in that 250 LCQ to get it done. But, hey, man, you got to get it done, and you got to get it done. I didn't really like the whole take out BC on the, on the straightaway uh, or wise. I, I think it was 
was it Wallace or BC? It was BC. BC, yeah. So I didn't really. And then he got free hill after that. Yeah, literally, like only a handful of corners later, he's like, "I'm getting up here." Um, but anything else uh, from those uh, and Ryder D. Ryder D. Unfortunately, got hurt and now uh, not hurt, but uh, went down on the track. And actually, that was the reason for the Kitchen and Smith uh, tangled there for a little bit. But anything else that you see from eleven to twenty-two? Um, I'll try to mention some of the things that you did. Of course, a lot of this will be in the Unsung Heroes article for Bourdon. I think he got a really bad start. Even though he crossed the finish line in 15, I feel like I remember seeing him at the very back of the field when they went through the first start, so maybe he used up a lot of energy to try to get guys right away. Yeah. I'm, I don't know if that's the case 100%, but... 12th isn't too bad. It's not the level he was at, but still not a bad finish for Leninovich, man. 40 years old, going out there. Two main events in a row now. He proved that Anaheim 2 wasn't a fluke. And as you said, he saved his energy for the LCQ. <laughs> and from a, one of the last gate picks, he was in transfer position both times. He was running fourth before the red flag. Yep. And then he survived the chaos. As I mentioned in the article that will be up, Slade Verola would have won the hard luck award if that was a thing because he pulled the whole shot in a heat race and then he went off to the side of the track. He pulls the whole shot in the LCQ. He gets passed by Jorgensen, but he was running second and a comfortable transfer spot when the red flag came out. And then he goes down off the start and he still ends up only one position out of the main event. Unbelievable. Shout out to the guys at MX Locker, though. They're doing the MX Locker Privateer, we're giving $500 to the top privateer in each class who just missed the main event. So at least he got $500 from MX Locker on the night, but my goodness, that guy showed a lot of heart and determination, which was great to see. For St. Cyr, as I said, first career main event. I found out while doing the article and seeing his sort of recap for the weekend, a former Quebec Arena Cross champion. There you go. Shout out to him. Silvera, I didn't know that he had made a main event before. I guess it had slipped my mind, or maybe I just wasn't paying as much attention because 2019, for some reason, I just don't remember a ton of racing from 2019. Denver of 2019 was his only career main event start before. So for him to tear through the pack, and he was definitely making some headlines. For sure. I mean, I'll admit that was a greasy. A greasy pass on BC, and then the move on Freehill, but at the same time, it's the LCQ. There's only 22 spots in the main event. They're not going to let fifth or sixth in the LCQ in there. Shout out to him for being able to qualify. The first non-Barex Suzuki to qualify. Obviously, Barex is the only 250 team running for Suzuki. Yep. And there's a bunch of other guys as well. TJ Albright, I've noticed a pattern that people can check out. He has a good week and then a bad week. He went straight through the heat race. I know we've talked about him a little bit before. Max Stanford, who was on the podcast a couple weeks ago, he had another solid ride. He's qualified for every main event since switching to the post-Grindstone Kawasaki, so shout out to him. And the first two-time you know, in an LCQ. Yeah. Shout out to him as well, getting some TV time for his team. Yep. And getting the laps, and I mean, hey, he gets to say he finished he got, first he place in the Supercross. He got lucky on that restart because he was way back there in that first 
uh, in that first uh, LCQ before the restart. Um, he was way yeah. back there in like 15th or 16th, and it was going to be a – and it didn't look good at that time. Um, so if one person um, really, really – got the better end of the stick on the restart it was definitely him able to get up to the front uh with a better start and uh that sort of thing i didn't see exactly what happened to him off the start in that first one before the red flag but um regardless he was able to make his way um on up to the front in that first in that uh restart for the privateers getting six weeks off some of these guys, I'm sure, will try to make the jump to the 450 class as they usually do. Yep. Some of them might show up at some of the arena cross rounds, but, you know, it's guys like that who are putting it all on the line in the LCQ. Guys that are showing up in shoestring budgets, pitting out of vans. That's the backbone of our sports. And seeing those guys so hungry and going for it, that's why LCQs are so entertaining because you have guys with really nothing to lose on that gate and you put up 22 guys for four spots and Saturday night you saw an example of what a perfect storm of LCQs and even the 450 LCQ we didn't talk about it too much but you know the battle for fourth position that was wild as well for the guys getting time off they can either regroup build momentum or get back to where they need to be yeah, and I think that this uh, break is going to be really good for them. But I also, that's what's so cool about Monster Energy, AMA, Supercross, Pro Motocross, is that you get those guys that are factory teams, that have salaries, that have 18 people working on their bike throughout the week. And then you have those guys that are literally eating peanut butter and jelly and McDonald's to get to these races. And in those four laps, they're some of the best Supercross riders in the world. And they're able to... Uh, to get themselves into the main event, even though the results aren't there, but they're there to get into that main event. And that's what shows up on the results page. And uh, yeah, that's what's so cool about this sport is that you have the top elite riders, but you also get to see the, oh, not in a bad way, but the bottom of the barrel guys, right? Like the guys that don't get a lot of TV time, a lot of coverage and that sort of thing that are literally doing it with uh, dad and a mechanic uh, going to these races and, uh, you know, all the money that they can come up with from supporters and sponsors and that sort of thing, uh, able to get, you know, the TV time and able to race on the same track and uh, try to get into that main event for sure. Um, man, I tell you what, this uh, these championship points within both of these, the 250 Supercross West and the 450 Supercross class is going to be phenomenal for sure. Um Trey, anything else on the weekend from Glendale? That was quite a bit and a lot of information that you listeners got to hear, but um, is there anything else from uh, Glendale that you would like to speak about? We're going into a week break. Just real quick, as you were talking about some of the privateer guys, 20th or 21st place in a main event might not be on, impressive on paper, but it feels like those guys are winning the main event if they even get to qualify for the main event. I'm just hoping for more exciting racing. We got a, re a week off, reset a little bit, refocus, and hopefully the 450 class and the 250 East boys, of course, I kind of feel bad for them because they had one race and then they get another week off. Right. But they are going to come out swinging at Arlington and that's going to be fun to watch. Absolutely. And uh, 
Simonson actually talked to us earlier on the pod, of course, and he was saying that, man, just to get into that final transfer spot, knowing over the finish line that you got in is like winning a main event for him, you know? Like, that's that's how it feels uh, for those guys to get into a main event. So much hard work and dedication and a lot of people behind you, pressure, all sorts of things are going against you and to be able to make it into one of those 450 Supercross main events, 250 Supercross main events. Um, hell, even to ride one of those Supercross futures and just be underneath the lights and in front of the crowd and to hear the announcers in the background and this and that, like, man, this is, this is what these guys dream for. It doesn't matter if it's a top factory rider or one of the privateers getting there by, you know, um, by themselves for sure. So, uh, yeah, a week off, then we're going to Arlington, going back with the 250 Supercross East riders. We'll have another podcast next week. So we will do our predictions then Trey, uh, we'll kind of come back and talk about, maybe some other thoughts that we had throughout the week going into next weekend in Arlington. So we'll be back, of course, next week to talk about that and to give our predictions. Uh, but let's talk about AMA Arena Cross. Uh, Brees has shown up. He has shown up, and he's ready to battle Kyle Peters for this AMA Arena Cross championship. And there was a lot of talk last week uh, within the two rounds of is KP – Got a little bit of chip in the armor now. Is he is he starting to get worried? Is he um, not able to be there with Brees and able to take a win away from him? And this weekend, man, Brees was on another mission. It was a back-to-back. -back, it was a back-to-back -back header this weekend. And every single time that Brees was out on the racetrack, he was the fastest. And he was also the winner uh, coming out of the weekend. Um what does Kyle Peters need to do to try to break this streak of Brees? Um, before I forget, I'm going to say that he needs to get a start on Brees. I feel like in the beginning of the season, that's where KP was very, very strong, was able to get a good start in that first main event. And then in the second main event, when it was inverted, he was able to get a better finish and work through those guys fastest to get up to the front. And Brees was behind him having to do all of that work now that we're seeing KP too. So this title fight is going to come down. And of course, obviously, Brees made up a lot of points within these uh, within this past weekend. Um, what do you think KP's thinking? What, is he, what does he need to do? I mean, he's frustrated. He is, I've heard it from multiple people that he is very frustrated right now. I think you could tell with his demeanor and in his interviews that he was clearly rattled. A guy, I mean, he's never, he's never one to show a ton of enthusiasm. He's not a Cody Groves or a Crockett Myers on the microphone, but usually he's a bit more positive, smiling. It seemed like this weekend he was always like on to the next or something along those lines. I don't remember for sure what he said. But he was kind of like, it is what it is, on to the next. It seemed like he just wanted to get away from it. Right. And as you said, early in the seasons, he would work through those guys quicker in the inverted start, even though he's not a fan of the inverted start. And he said that multiple times. He kind of used that to his advantage. He's a guy who has raced with Bitterman and Clark and all these other guys for years now. 
and he was able to work through them a little bit quicker than Brees was. Now the momentum has completely flipped around. Brees wasn't out of it before, but he was definitely clinging on to dear life a few rounds ago. Yeah, It was a 23-point lead, and with how good Kyle has been the past few years, it was going to be hard to make up that ground. And here Brees has rattled off either six or eight consecutive main event wins. He's got the points lead down to nine. For Brees, mm. he's just got to keep on pushing. I feel like he forced, I want to say it was Friday night, he forced KP a little bit to the inside and he clipped the tough block. And KP was talking about that too. I don't think it was a dirty move, but when you have 12 guys going for that same corner, and it's a narrow corner in arena cross, yep. those first corners are really narrow. And KP was talking about that, complaining a little bit. Brees has the advantage, not just on the on-track performance with his swing and momentum. He has the mental advantage right now. He just has to keep going out and applying the pressure every week. Winning these races has really got Peters in a mindset we haven't seen. Yeah. I wasn't able to see the first couple seasons of the series with Peters winning. I don't know what his competition level was like. But I know from watching last year, he was out front and he had a very sizable points lead pretty early in the season. Yep. So he could cruise and nothing was in his way. Now we have a really good rider in Ryan Brees. A guy who has experience mixing it up in Supercross, a really solid guy. Now he's in the Arena Cross series, and he's flat-out dominated these last couple weekends. He's definitely put Peters in a lot of trouble compared to what he's had to go through the last few years. And I do want to say it was kind of interesting to me. The top three finishers in all four main events this weekend was the same exact order. Reese won all four main events. Peters was second. Austin Politelli was third. Kind of interesting that you have four races during the weekend and the top three guys are the exact same order every one. Yeah. Yeah. And Politelli rode amazing. Uh, rode great throughout the the weekend as well. Um, he had a couple of rounds that weren't that didn't go his way. Um, and maybe it was comfort. Maybe it was confidence. Don't really know. But he really showed himself. Uh, getting out front there for a couple of them, getting past, uh, you know, within a lap or two. But he was able to be right there with those guys and not too far off behind Peters. And, um, you know, you got to think with KP in that round in Oklahoma, switching to a 450, then the next weekend staying on that 450 and it not working, he's switching things up. And normally for KP, he's good. Like when you know, two or three rounds in, he's good with his bike. He's good with where he is in his mindset. But now this is a different championship for him to go out and win this year because the cards are not on his side uh, right now. And I believe that he really needs to step up and he needs to take a win away from Brees, whether it be getting the whole shot and holding him off or Brees grabbing the whole shot or them working through the pack and Peter's able to pass him. But he needs to do something to stop this bleeding that is happening uh, from the number 200 Orion Brees moving forward. Definitely. He has to get out front of Brees. 
and that's been really hard with the starts he's been getting lately. He has been dialed in off the gate, whether it has been the initial start in the main event or the inverted gate. Kyle Peters has to get out in front of Ryan Brees and hold him off. It's one thing to stay in front of Brees for a little bit, but with the pace he's shown, it's going to be hard to hold him off for 15 or 20 laps. And talking about Politelli, I feel like having guys like him or even Robbie Wageman when he showed up, I don't know how many guys will be coming in for Daytona because they have the arena cross race Friday night before Supercross. But having those extra top caliber guys has been a really big help to Ryan Brees. Kyle Bitterman, Isaiah Clark, Crockett Myers, all these guys who are regulars, they are solid riders. Don't get me wrong. But you increase the level of competition and the level of elite guys in arena cross terms when you bring in a Wageman or a Politelli. Because those are guys who can put themselves between Peters and Brees. Yep. As I mentioned a few weeks ago when Shimoda and Thrasher were down and out of the championship, they could be a factor in the 250 West just from stealing points from other guys. If Politelli keeps racing the Arena Cross Series, if we see Rageman back, those guys could be factors, and I think they've been huge assets. We saw Peters go 4-4 in Arizona. Yeah. Who was one of the reasons for that? Robbie Wageman, because he went 3-2. Yeah. Politelli was there that night as well. Those guys who come in from the outside, who are still top-tier Supercross guys, obviously Wageman with a top 10 this week. Politelli made the main event in San Francisco in the 450 class. That is going to be, I think, the wrinkle that Brees needs. If those other guys can come in and put themselves between him and Peters, we know he's got the mental edge right now, but as good as Peters has been, I still feel like he might need a little bit of help. Yeah. Brees having an extra guy on the gate that can run that top three speed and be up front, that is a huge asset to him, in my opinion. And this arena cross title, I don't know if we're going to approach Jacob Hayes, Kyle Regal levels of animosity, but... I want to see this thing go down to the wire, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, and it seems like we're getting our wish. I'm right there with you. I I just feel like a lot of momentum is on Brees' side right now, and like you were saying with these riders uh, that are in the Arena Cross Series or that will join the Arena Cross Series as this series progresses, man, you got to think that KP's thinking about this. Like, man, I've got to get... I've got to do something about this quick because in another two rounds, you know, of Peters going 2-2 and Brees going 1-1, you know, it's going to be down to literally nothing. I mean, from what it was a couple weeks ago at 23 and then be at 9 now, I mean, man, that's crazy. And that's only three rounds, right? That's, that was literally from one round and then the where Peters got fourth uh, in both of those and fourth overall on the night. And then we go to the back-to-back this past weekend in Reno, and he loses those two points on each night. You know, we're down to seven now, or down to nine now. Um, you got to think that, you know, Peters has got to do something or he has got to have some sort of help. I want to say, 
I'm not giving up on Peters yet because he's done this for so long. He has so many wins. He is so confident in his AMA Arena Cross background and championships that I'm not ready to give up on him yet, but he has got to show something here in the next few rounds or Brees is going to start taking off with this thing and it's not going to be good. So for the North Carolina native that I raced my entire amateur career growing up, he whacks my ass every single weekend. It didn't matter if it was on 60s or on big bikes. It doesn't matter. Still a fan of the guy. He's a local North Carolina native. He literally lives about 15 minutes away from me now. Um, but just like if he was in front of me right now, I would say the exact same thing is you've got to do something. You've got to get up front there. Use those good starts like you did at the beginning of the year. Figure out how to get those back. And we know that you have the endurance and you have the speed. It's just you can't let Brees do this. He's starting to figure this AMA Arena Cross series out. It took him six rounds pretty much to figure it out. And now that he's got it figured out or however many rounds before he started winning and started getting the invert inversion start right and that sort of thing, he picks up on this stuff very, very quickly. And now he's literally right there close to the driver's seat of this points championship battle for this series. So, um, yeah, man, it's going to be a good one all the way down to the end, I hope. For you riders and privateers that may be listening, I hope you guys make it down there to Daytona. I'm going to be down there. That will be my first Supercross. As of right now, that is going to be my first Supercross that I make uh, an appearance to. And, of course, I'm going to go and check out that AMA Arena Cross on Friday night as long as everything goes to plan uh, for right now. But, man, it is uh, in all of these championship title fights, it doesn't matter. We've only seen one round of 250 Supercross East, and I'm ready for Arlington. I mean. You know, there's so many things happening in that one. And then, of course, we've seen multiple rounds of the 450 class and the 250 West class, and those are the closest it's been. And this is now the closest that KP has had somebody up on him for this AMA Arena Cross series. It seems like every series left and right is going to be a good one all the way down to the end as long as we keep this same uh, streak kind of going. And, man, it is – if you're a dirt bike racing fan – this year is one of the ones that's going to keep you on your feet all year, I feel, Trey. We're definitely spoiled right now, that's for sure, with the amount of racing action that's going on. I'm kind of disappointed we have a week off, but at the same time, get a little bit of a reset, and I know that they're all going to come out swinging in Arlington. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else uh, for the professional side, Trey? You're gonna you're gonna finish out the uh, the rest of the pod here with me since uh, Heavy D had to go and do some work and load his uh, load his truck on the night. But is there anything else professional side wise that uh, that we forgot or you would like to mention before we sign off for the night? No, I think we pretty much covered it all. Yeah, I think two hours worth of professional side talking uh, with us, I think is is pretty good, Trey. That's uh definitely a long one for sure but there was a lot to talk about i feel like we didn't leave anything on the table and i hope you listeners enjoyed it and of course that's it for this episode number 36 here on the imperative mx podcast where we spoke about local motocross racing this past weekend and of course the upcoming races here upon us uh, for this month and of course going down the road then we had gizmo mods rock river yamaha 450 supercross rider 
Devin Simonson, come on and speak about his first 450 main event uh, make of the year, training down there at Club MX now, being a part of this new team for him, and of, co and of course, much more. And then we had our Trey Steyer join us to speak about the Wild Monster Energy AMA Supercross Championship. We have this year so far in the bar-banging AMA Arena Cross Championship really heating up now. And of course, we talked about so much more on this podcast, and we hope that you guys enjoyed it. Big thanks again to the companies who make this possible. West Virginia Motorsports, Dirt Industries Custom Graphics, FXR Racing, Hydropower, Silver Valley MX Park, Total Control Racing Suspension, and PR Motorsports. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of the Imperative MX Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Threads, and our TikTok channel. Find the other episodes and more local scene podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you find your podcast nowadays. Check out imperativemx.com when you can and post on the forums up there on the website. For myself, Zach Newberry, and Trey Steyer, we're out. We'll see you next week. <laughs>